from the past. Please listen carefully. Coco. Welcome to the Coco Crew Podcast. A delicious adventure into the world of retro computing news and information. Featuring the Tandy Color Computer. Hey, you got your Coco 3 yet? Coco. Alright, welcome Coco Cruisers. We, you have reached the Coco Crew Podcast, episode number 43, which I like to think of as the Richard Petty edition, just because I'm a good old country boy from North Carolina. <laughs> but uh, whether or not you share that uh, you know, born and bred uh, NASCAR appeal, which I must admit I'm really not that big a fan, but uh, I did meet Richard once. He was a really nice guy. Anyway, uh, this, of course, is John Linville, and I'm here with uh, uh, all our fine hosts. Uh, so we've got Neil Blanchard. Hello, Neil. John. Mike Rowan. Hello, Mike. How are you? Great. How's everybody doing? Very good, very good. Boise, how are you doing, Boise? I'm doing wonderful. It's great to be here. Awesome. And, of course, the the indomitable Ron Klein. How are you doing, Ron? Good. Hello, everybody. <laughs> very good. Welcome, friends. So this, of course, is our end-of-year Christmas edition, shall we say. I'm not sure how Christmassy it'll be, but uh, <laughs> we're going to have a little bit of end-of-year talk somewhere along the episode. Before we get there, we'll have our usual uh, news segment, which I'm, I've been told is still popular. <laughs> so <laughs> we're getting closer or farther away from the – well, closer to, to both uh, the next Tandy Assembly in 2019. That's uh, 10 months away or so, give or take. Actual Cocoa Fest, I've got it as four months, uh, it's, it's early May, so it's kind of four or five, depending on how you look at it, but let's let's call it four months for now. Um, our big events, uh, one recently passed and one coming before too long. Very exciting stuff. How about, uh, what have you guys been up to? Anybody working on anything cool? I um, have uh, finally found the heart to... Uh, Removed the, some stickers from the, the, the production run I had done for um, for Farfall uh, when I eventually hit a, a problem and, and uh, decided to stop ship back in the spring. And so having to rework some boards, then, you know, a little bit of a, uh, an ugly thing. But, um, uh, you know, no doubt the source of criticism from uh, at least one former Coco great who likes to shoot his mouth off. But it's sometimes it's the cost of doing business. If you make a mistake, you just have to correct it. <laughs> <laughs> Do I regret having soldered down the the chips or or whatever? Well, you know, I regret having to uh, the the pain of having her to do it. But um, honestly, it's still a better production choice. So I'm gonna take unsolder them and replace them with other chips and solder those down too. So if you don't like it? Well, stick your opinion somewhere that you can uh, read it yourself. <laughs> anyway, how about anyone else working on a project? So surely you guys have something brewing already for Cocoa Fest. Well, speaking of cartridges, I'm uh, plugging away on uh, Hunt the Wampus. Those are almost ready. Hunt the Wampus, very good. Uh, I I like uh, some of the some of my favorite games are the fairly simple ones. 
Uh, some people don't think they deserve to be on cartridges, but if you look at the cartridges that were offered by Tandy, not all of those games were exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'd say the bars are too high by that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, some people love clowns and balloons, but realistically, it's really just a Circus Atari ripoff, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, anyone else got some projects going or anything that they want? Um, they, they're free to talk about. I'm continuing on the uh, the Game Master cartridge uh, video series on our YouTube channel. So I just released the third one on the Noise channel. Uh, it was Very several good. months overdue, but there it is. And I am actively working on the next one, which will be about the uh, bank switching ROM. So stay tuned. Very good. I love those videos. Uh, they're very nicely um, adorned with um, uh, graphical uh, uh, demonstrations and uh, cool stuff. It's, it's uh, as I like to say, great pedagogy. That's my favorite <laughs> word to slip in there. So. <laughs> <laughs> Completely uh-huh. agree. I, I really enjoy those videos, Mike. I not only learning about the GMC cartridge and, and how, um, you know, to access the audio features of it, but there's just other technology that you're talking about that's, you know, quite old with regards to the Cocoa, but it's it's really good to see how you're presenting it. It's a very valuable lesson, so thank you for doing those. Oh, thanks. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, you learn a lot about the, the Cocoa itself, so, uh, because you're you're touching that, so I, th- I think it's good. It, it certainly is educational for me to make them, so. Yeah, like latch bites and things like that. I, it's you're really introducing us to a lot of neat things. Cool. Yeah, definitely cool stuff. Nice production quality on those videos too, Mike. Thank you. Yep. Well, anyone else got something brewing? Uh, I'm working on the latest updates to Cocoa Pie, but one of the things that I'm trying to do uh, for this show, you know, I want to come up with some tutorials to help people that goes along with some of the documentation I've provided. And while I'm trying to do it through audio to make it part of the podcast, what I think I'd like to do is I'm working on some uh, video production for that. And maybe we can have that as a kind of an add-on to the show when we discuss it. So, guys, I'll work with you on that about how we want to present it. But that's that's what I'm working on right now. I'm also expanding it a little bit. I think I'm adding some other Tandy and TRS-80 emulators into the mix now. There's a lot of stuff that's working very well on the Raspberry Pi. And if people just want to continue using Cocoa, that's great. But uh, I'm adding stuff for other Tandy and TRS-80 platforms, including some of the uh, you know the portable machines as well, since that's, that's what I'm tinkering with. I got an actual Model 100, like I mentioned uh, a show or two ago. I figure, you know what, the Raspberry Pi is capable of doing it. If people are interested, they can they can use that as well. Cool. Very cool. good. It's a general purpose machine. Might as well use it for general general purposes, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cool. Well, then, let's see. I guess that only leaves you, Boise. Uh, you uh, got anything cool brewing or just uh, PhD work? That's the cool thing brewing. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Uh, very good. How about any uh, eBay acquisition or other acquisitions? Anyone bought anything cool lately? A belt for a Tandy portable disk drive. I did buy one of those, John. <laughs> cool. Trying to get an old school drive going, so. Cool. I uh, I got something kind of neat, uh, a little on the expensive side, but um, I bought a um, uh, one of these turtle robots that they used to sell specifically for for interfacing with Logo. Uh, this one's um, the, the software that came with us for the Apple II, but it, it has a serial port um, where you can control the, the robot functions or whatever. So um, 
I predict I'll be able to use that with the Coco. Uh, I think DL Logo has a interface, a way to interface those sort of robots to it. So cool. That, that may be an ongoing project. Something else I bought. Uh, well, it had an expensive list price, and then when it sold, I saw a bunch of squawking in the community about, "Oh my God, how could anybody spend that price on it or whatever?" Blah blah blah. You know how people kind of run their mouths about eBay and such. Yeah. If you're one of those folks, let me just tell you, when it says make offer, you can make an offer, <laughs> and you don't have to pay the list price if uh, you and the buyer, you and the seller agree. And I didn't. I mean, I agreed. I didn't pay list price. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> You think you you think somebody bought it and they're dumb for paying that price, but maybe they didn't pay the price you think they did, and uh, maybe they got the got something that you don't have. So there. Well, I'm feeling sassy today. I guess I had a little too much to drink earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've had, um, I've had luck making offers too. So yeah, that's definitely good advice. I didn't realize it still showed it sold for the price that was posted though. That's cool. so some it, they seem to differ. Sometimes they show it as not as sold. At, you know, either at the list price or they'll sell it. They'll show it as no price shown for how it was sold. <laughs> they usually don't seem to show the actual sale price if it sells from an offer. I don't know what the rules are there, but yeah, just because something that had an expensive list price sold, don't assume that the person that bought it paid the list price. Although I presume that you use proper uh, etiquette, right, in making an offer. Yeah, well, I made the offer through eBay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what I mean by that is, I'll give you an example. I had something on eBay. It's a Liberate 09. $45 is the starting price. And for some reason, when I made the listing, I inadvertently left on the option for someone to make an offer. So some uh, some guy sends me a $35 offer and I decline it. Then he sends me a $40 offer. So at that time, I countered with a $55 offer to get to the point to him that, hey, I don't want to sell the damn thing for less than $45. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh goodness. Well, yeah. It's uh, like I say. Sometimes uh, you, you you can when you're listing things, uh, you you have to make sure you you know what you're doing, or else the listing ends up differently than what you thought it would that's, be, or whatever. Yes, that's a very important thing to do whenever you're doing work on eBay. Is make sure you check all the options and uncheck the options you don't want. But anyway. I hope um, you blog about your uh, your turtle experience. Yeah, well, I've, uh, cool. uh, it's a you know one of a a long list of projects, of course. Oh, well, it was kind of neat because um, it showed up and it was kind of a big box, and I didn't know what it was because the box was so big. Opened the opened it up, and inside it was what appeared to be, you know, how you see these uh, old movies from like the forties or whatever, and somebody have a a suitcase, but it'll have like a straps around the outside of the suitcase. I don't, I don't know why they put them on there, but maybe they didn't hold together too good in the past. But it looks like an old suitcase. <laughs> <laughs> and so I've opened it up and took the straps off and um, pulled it. It actually is just a it's a box, so, you know, with like one you know one side the top slips over the bottom of the box, but it's sort of styled to look like a suitcase. It does have a suitcase handle on it. But uh, but yeah, inside was the robot or whatever. <laughs> so cool. Somebody thought it was special, I guess. <laughs> there was a uh, Coco version called the Nomad, 
Yeah, this uh, this one um, looked like there were version, you know, software versions available for at least the PC and 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 the Apple and maybe a couple others. But you know, ultimately it's a serial port, so um, it'll be okay. You send, you basically send a you know, a byte down, and like bit five is turn on the left motor, and bit six is turn on the right motor, and bit three is to you know drop the pin or or lift it or whatever. It, it does have a, a, a mechanism for the pin, so that's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, that is. Uh, does anybody else have any cool acquisition they want to talk about? On a less exciting item, uh, but still uh, Tandy-related, uh, picked up another Tandy 1000 EX on eBay. <laughs> cool. You building a collection of those? Yep. Yep, slowly building those up. Cool. And I always uh, like those, uh, the EX and HX, because they kind of remind me of a Coco, you know, it's the all-in-one solution. Sure. Sure. And they use the same joysticks, so, you know. That's true. <laughs> the adapter works with it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we need to, to figure out a cable for those so that uh, you can use the extra buttons, too. Yeah, that'd be awesome. That's probably enough to get us started, so why don't we take a, a short little break and we'll be back with our announcements. New from Double Density Software, it's Double DOS 2. Now use 35, 40, or 80 track double or single-sided drives, all on one system, all at the same time. Supports all regular disk commands, and Double DOS 2 is totally transparent to your basic programs. You can get up to 158 granules on a disk using an 80-track drive. Double DOS 2 adds new commands to basic. BOD to change the BOD rate on a serial port. Track to set 35, 36, 40, or 80 tracks. Peter to print your directory to a printer. Date, enter the month, day, and year as an extension to your program, and many more. We guarantee this program will work with all 35, 40, or 80-track drives. Just $29.95, 64K required. Double Density Software, Denton, Texas. You know... You and me, we've been together for a long time. And when you're working so hard, things can get a little hot. And you've got to find a way to cool it down. Cool down your color computer with the Cocoa Cooler from REM Industries. It brings down the operating temperature to ambient, regardless of accessory load. Reduces temperature of the entire computer. Not just the same chip. Easy one-minute installation. And it's just $39.95. And now offering the Coco Cooler 2. It's the same price and the same fit for the Color Computer 2. Don't let your Color Computer get too hot. Cool it down with the Coco Cooler. For faster service, send money order or certified check. Add $2 shipping for continental U.S. Add $4 shipping for Alaska, Hawaii, Canada, and APOs. Add $15 shipping for overseas. Add $3 for 220 to 250-volt model. California residents add 6.5% sales tax. We'll ship COD on USA shipments only. All merchandise ship from stock. Cocoa Cooler is a product of REM Industries Incorporated, Chatsworth, California. All right. Welcome back. This is the Cocoa Crew Podcast, episode number 43, and it's time for... The announcements. Uh, you are listening to the Coco Crew Podcast. Uh, we are available on Twitter as at Coco Crew Podcast. That's all one word at C O C O C R E W P O D C A S T. If you are prone to sending tweets, feel free to tweet at us and we might even tweet back. If you um, are on Facebook, we do have a Facebook group and that is, uh, of course, the 
Coco Crew Podcast. That's four separate words. If you search for Coco Crew, uh, then I'm sure you'll find us. Be uh, be wary though if you end up on a page that says Coco Talk, that's a different bunch of guys. <laughs> so the Coco Crew Podcast, of course, is available on iTunes uh, and on Google Play for normal podcast downloads. Also through the RSS feed at CocoCrew.org. And for streaming, we're available through both uh, Stitcher and TuneIn. Are there any other streaming services uh, that we should be worried about? Well, if you do, let, let us know. I'll try to get on there. Still got us listed as a member of the Throwback Network. I uh, still haven't seen the Throwback Network uh, re- regain its Internet presence, so it may be a lost cause. But um, if you find it on archive.org, you'll see that we were a member um, before they uh, before they left the earth. <laughs> <laughs> we are, of course, still listed on the Game by Game Podcast Information Hub, a listing of um, similarly themed podcasts. Uh, involving gaming technology from the 80s and maybe the 90s, uh, maybe even the 70s. Um, but uh, if you're done listening to the Coco Crew podcast and um, you're looking for other podcast outlets, then feel free to check on the Game by Game podcast information hub. Audio for the Coco Crew podcast is hosted by Cyber Ears. Uh, should you have a need to host a podcast or other uh, source of audio on the Internet, then we recommend that you check out Cyber Ears, where you will get your audio on your terms. If you want to reach out via email to the uh, host of the Cover Crew, then we have some email addresses set up. Uh, we have a, a few that will reach all of the hosts. Uh, so starting with uh, show, S-H-O-W, at cococrew.org. That's at C-O-C-O-C-R-E-W dot O-R-G. Also podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, at cococrew.org. And feedback, F-E-E-D-B-A-C-K, at cococrew.org. Uh, if for some reason you only want to talk to one host or another, uh, then I'm available as John, J-O-H-N, at cococrew.org. Uh, Neil is available as Neil, N-E-I-L, at CocoCrew.org. Mike is available as Mike, M-I-K-E, at CocoCrew.org. Boise, of course, is Boise, B-O-I-S-Y, at CocoCrew.org. And Ron, of course, is Ron, R-O-N, at CocoCrew.org. That's uh, pretty much our standard announcements. Um, We do have a few uh, uh, events in real life coming up that that our listeners may be interested in. Coming up uh, in March of 2019, March 23rd to 24th, we have the Vintage Computing Festival Pacific Northwest 2019. This uh, will be held at the uh, Living Computer Museum and Labs in Seattle. Have not been to this event. I think the first one was last year, but I uh, have heard good things. I'm sure it's a great event put on through the Vintage Computing Festival folks. So if you are in the Pacific Northwest part of the United States or the nearby parts of Canada, then I um, I suggest you make way to uh, to attend there in March. Uh, also in March, a week later, March 30th to 31st, 2019, we have the um, Playthrough Gaming Convention. This, of course, is uh, held near me at the Raleigh Convention Center, about an hour away from where I live, the fourth event. The two-day gaming convention taking place in Raleigh, North Carolina. A weekend-long extravaganza showcasing the legend games and providing an opportunity for gamers to meet others who share their passion. 
Whether you're interested in video games, esports, tabletop games, or playtesting new creations, Playthrough has something for everyone. <laughs> if you are going to go to a playthrough, um, send me a note, let me know. Maybe uh, I'll try to meet up with you. Let's see, April, coming up to April, April 12th through 14th, 2019, we have the Midwest Gaming Classic in 2019. Uh, this, I believe, is uh, one of Ron's favorites. Uh, held at the Wisconsin Center in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, Midwest Gaming Classic is a trade show featuring 150,000 plus square feet of retro and modern home video game consoles, pinball machines, arcade video games, computers, tabletop gaming, brain games, collectible card games, and air hockey. And that's just the start. <laughs> the cool show, right, Ron? It's got something for everybody. It really does. I'm looking forward to going again. So, if, like you said, if anyone's going to this show, let me know. <laughs> me. Oh, great. We'll have to. We'll meet up. There's uh, there's a lot to do there. A lot to take in. Awesome. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. All right. Very good. Okay, that brings us to uh, Coco Fest coming up May 4th through 5th of 2019. Uh, Coco Fest, the 28th annual last Chicago Coco Fest being held at the Heron Point Convention Center in Lombard, Illinois. So come out and touch the Heron. For those of you who are interested in exhibiting at Coco Fest, uh, you should know that the um, exhibitor's application, also could be called the vendor's application, is available on the website. A few changes. Uh, may want to beware if you'll indulge me here. They're, they're basically pricing changes. Um, the idea is we're trying... Last year we were, we were very full, and that was a great and a wonderful thing. But we're trying to make a few efforts to possibly reduce the demand for vendor tables. One thing is we've adjusted the price. <laughs> so uh, if you fill out the application, um, you can get um, one table, or also called a booth, um, but one table and one pass for a person to attend. And it covers both days, of course. That'll cost you $30. If you want an extra table, That'll cost you an extra $25. You'll need a, an extra vendor pass. So if you're bringing a buddy or a spouse or whatever, that'll cost you an extra $5. So the one change from previously, we are asking for people to limit themselves to at most one extra table. So, you know, one by default, two for those who really need one. If you really need more than one, uh, whether it's if we don't sell out all our tables, then uh, maybe we'll have a few extra that we can open up later in the registration. But for now, we are asking everyone to limit themselves to, uh, well, one table if you can, and, and at most two tables. We also have a new option for those who want to have a table, but are really there just, they're basically really attendees and just want a place to be able to set down their, their spoils of war, shall we say. Uh, <laughs> place to sit, a place to to, uh, to to dump the goods they've acquired uh, from the vendors, that sort of thing. We're calling that a place to call home, the half-depth table. Not allowed any sales, but you do have a pass for the, for the weekend. That'll cost you $20. And, of course, if you are participating in the Saturday night dinners, uh, there's a, that'll cost you $20 per adult. Children 12 and under will be free. Anyway, thank you for that little indulgence. <laughs> Back to our announcements. And then the last item on our announcements is, of course, Kansas Fest 2019. That will be in July 15th through 21st of 2019. Held at Rockhurst University in um, uh, Kansas City, Missouri. Is that right? 
This is the uh, summer camp for for Apple II nerds. They are good people. They they like Apple II, but uh, you know it washes off if you get too close. <laughs> so there you go. Kansas Fest is a great event. If you're into Apple II, then I recommend that you uh, you look into it. And uh, you may want to make your decisions uh, shortly because um, they have been known to fill up. All right. Well, that's our announcements for this month. We're going to take another break, and then we'll be back with the news. Winter is here again. And whether you have a hunting cabin or just enjoy a rustic home, nothing is as comfortable as coming in from the cold to the warmth of a wood-burning stove. And now your TRS-80 color computer can monitor your stove with the Wood Heat Stove Monitor System. It's easy to install and works with any cocoa with 16K Extended Color Basic. You can monitor the flue temp and set upper and lower temperature alarms. No more guessing when to add wood or oversleeping and waking up to a cold house. It's easy to use and easy to load from cassette. It even generates temperature graphs. The Wood Heat Stove Monitor System is just $74.95. Dealer inquiries are invited. Wood Heat is located at 1032 3rd Avenue in West Belmar, New Jersey. Does your color computer know what time it is? Well, now it can with the RTC-10 real-time clock. The RTC-10 is a quartz-based time-date clock contained in a compact ROM case. The included two-year-plus replaceable battery keeps time accurate when the computer is off and even when the cartridge is unplugged. It can be used with or without a multi-slot unit. The included software allows you to set the clock as well as display time and date in the upper right corner of the video screen. The RTC-10 makes it simple to access the time and date with just a few basic peaks. It's compatible with any 16K or greater extended or non-extended color computer. The RTC-10 comes completely assembled, tested, and ready to plug in and use. The RTC-10 Real-Time Clock. Only $89 from Custom Computer Products. Goshen, New York. All right, welcome back, Coco Cruisers. Now it's time for our news segment. All right, we're kicking off the news here. Uh, the first one is from Diego Barzo, uh, and it's called Hippo Teeth. And this is pretty cool. It's a uh, it's a game run on the uh, Coco 1 and 2. I think it's written in basic, but it's pretty cool. You have a, a, a big hippo's mouth, and there's teeth in it, and there are these worms that are attacking the teeth. You're the dentist moving back and forth, trying to shoot down these uh, worms and save the teeth. And uh, you keep playing until uh, the poor hippo is out of teeth. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, very, very cool game. Good link. You should definitely follow that one. And our next item is from Jeremy Spiller. 60 frames per second or bust. Yeah, how about this uh, pretty cool write-up from uh, Jeremy? He's responsible for um, the Crystal City. Yeah. And uh, Xenix. Um, Xenix, yeah. Super fast games, yeah. Yeah, they are amazingly fast action packed games, so if anybody knows what they're talking about, uh, <laughs> it could be Jeremy. And uh it's a nice little write up of some stuff. I think there's some good info here. Like he's got uh, some source uh examples available. Very cool. Nice to see a, a write up from an old timer. <laughs> All right, our next one is from Henry Reitveld, and it's using a wireless PS2 keyboard with a Cloud9 PS2 keyboard adapter. Yeah. He, he, just, he just reviews using that. Uh, th- those are great devices. I use the Cloud9 PS2 
adapter on a couple of my Cocos, and uh, they work great, and they do work fine with uh, wireless keyboards. Sure, yeah, no great magic there. It's the PS2 adapter that's the important part, but, uh, you know, if anybody was wondering if the, if the wireless part changed the equation, uh, it uh, certainly seems not. <laughs> so, very nice. Yeah, yeah. Okay, our next one is from Carlos Camacho. I'm going to go ahead and sell my 2-megabyte Coco 3 case badge rather than waiting to launch my e-commerce store. Something that's happened this year is there's been uh, uh, some new 2-megabyte uh, RAM expansion available. You know, we already had seen the market opened up for the earlier 512K badges by some some really cool entrepreneurial folks. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, uh, the two meg, uh, I guess there's uh, some demand there. I don't know if Carlos is going to end up as the only vendor for there or not. Uh, I suspect not, but uh, I, I don't want to pre-announce anything, so we'll just leave it at that. Okay, our next one is from Radio Shack, and I'm sure most people have heard this by now. If they haven't, but uh, they are now selling uh, T-shirts and different apparel. I know a bunch of us jumped in and, and bought some of the Radio Shack shirts. Their TRS-80 shirt's pretty cool because it's got the three color bars, like the uh, yeah. the uh, color computer. So uh, I, I personally bought one of the realistic shirts, too. So if you're a fan, there's uh, plenty to choose from. And right after we bought all these, they came out with a whole additional line of sweatshirts and hoodies. I don't know how you guys think, but I think the quality of, of mine have been great. Yeah, yeah, I got one of the Coco ones, um, and, and I was pretty pleased with it. Uh, Somebody said the sizes ran a little small, but um, I found that it actually was all right. The soft, the uh, the material was um, soft and stretchy and fit pretty well to me. But yeah, it's cool that they have the, the not only do they have the cocoa ones, which is a, a nice little tribute to to our favorite machine, but then they have, you know, like say, Radio Shack in a in a number of patterns, uh, realistic. Model they even have one with the Battery Club card on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, definitely fun and uh, good shirts, so definitely visit them. I bought one of the black cocoa ones as well. It's almost like a uniform now amongst most of us. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure we'll see a lot of them at Cocoa Fest this year. Cool. All right, our next story is from Chet Simpson, and it's Cocoa Development Shell version 1.0 beta. You see these popped up from time to time, different ways that people are trying to to give somebody aids uh, for, for writing um, Cocoa software. This one actually has its roots quite some time back. I think it was <laughs> at least around the the, uh, the early 2000s, maybe before. But this is something that Chad Simpson's kind of returned to the community and uh, been digging out some stuff lately and uh, useful tools from somebody who knows how to use them. It's interesting, and uh, it's good that he's uh, released it for everybody open source, or, or at least you can download it anyway. So very good. Thanks, Chad. Yep, very good. Okay, so the next news item here from Walter Zambodi, uh, the Open VCC update. I was just looking at his uh, his email update on this. It looks like he's added the Orchestra 90 support and some RAM disk module. He still needs to add the Becker emulation and the Super IDE modules. Um, I'm very interested in this. I I liked VCC, but I don't spend a lot of time in Windows, and uh, I I know it's had issues in the past, but with him working on this and the possibility of it working under X and, and Linux is very appealing to me. So I'm looking forward to a release to try it under uh, to Linux. 
Yeah, definitely. It's a, a lot of people favor VCC. Uh, one of its weaknesses has been being Windows only. Uh, it's good to see somebody um, working to address that. Next item, hot on the heels of Diego's uh, program, we have Jim Gary, who went ahead and did a port of Hippo Teeth to the MC10. Um, actually, visually, it looks very, very close. Um, it does. And even plays very, very similarly. It, you know, Jim did a great job on this. You know, he he does port quite a few games um, over to the MC10, and uh, he's showing no signs of slowing down at all. So thank you, Jim, very much for that. Yep, yeah. another good one. That's how you know you've made it in the Cocoa world, is if uh, Jim uh, ports uh, makes a game like yours uh, on the MC10. <laughs> Our next item is from Scott Kelly. So this is interesting. I, I reached out to Scott and actually um, John Strong uh, a little while ago. Scott was doing some other 3D printing work, and, you know, of course, John does quite a bit. And I was looking to see about mounting a, a Raspberry Pi in a Cocoa case. And Scott went ahead and put together a bracket to do just that. <clears throat> I don't think he's released the plans just yet, but what he's put together is very interesting. It's just something I'm looking at for some other projects right now. We'll see if I can get a hold of one of these things and I can continue doing some work. But uh, thank you very much, Scott, for putting that together. And uh, I'll be yeah. interested to try one of these. And just to be clear, this isn't the astronaut, Scott Kelly, right? <laughs> no, not that I'm aware of. <laughs> good one, Mike. Good one. Yeah. It is. Well, he is welcome to uh, come to Cocoa Fest or, or participate in any kind of Cocoa events as far as I'm concerned. But yes, uh, or no, it's not the same guy as far as we know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, our next news item is from Pierre uh, Sarazin. The latest CMOC is out. Looks like he's added Dragon support and a new keyboard joystick library for that. I use CMOC on the Raspberry Pi as part of the Cocoa Pi. I also use it on my main Linux workstation. He's put a lot of work into that, and he's very receptive to uh, to adding features, things of that nature. I've, I've emailed him on the side when I was trying to get this to work on a Raspberry Pi under ARM, and he was great to work with. So definitely appreciate his continued updates on this project. Yeah, great to see more updates. It's awesome. So I'm looking at the next news item. I guess I must have missed this when I was reviewing it. I have not seen anything from Eric Raymond in quite some time, so it's good to know he's still around. Um, yeah. I did not have a chance to read this article, Things Every Hacker Once Knew. Yeah, so like you say, Eric Raymond, uh, for those who don't know, has uh, been prolific in the in the Unix world for, well, for some time, uh, writes a lot of... Uh, Let's call it Unix philosophy and kind of uh, articles or whatever. He's famous for writing um, something called The Cathedral and the Bazaar, which was uh, an early kind of uh, description of the open source um, model of software development, but when it was still more of a new thing before it did, before we took over the world. Um, <laughs> Eric, um, I don't actually know Eric. I have exchanged email with him uh, on a couple of issues but um fine guy whatever he can depending on who you're talking to he can be a little controversial not so much because of his unix or hackery kind of uh, stuff but like me he's kind of a second amendment guy let's just leave it at that but um <laughs> but here he's written something hopefully it's not controversial to anybody but it's uh, just it kind of goes over you know well the title things every hacker once knew 
Um, and so he kind of goes over stuff about um, uh, serial ports and old kinds of networking and um, why people use octal notation and and uh, all kinds of stuff and that um, used to be, you know, a computer nerd, shall we say. There were things that you just sort of expected any other computer nerd would know. You know, some of this stuff dates back to 1961 or earlier, but even possibly. And, uh, you know, that's more than 50 years ago now. So some of the people who knew this back and forth, of course, are no longer with us or at least no longer interested in talking to newbies on the Internet. <laughs> so um, anyway, I thought it was kind of interesting from that perspective. And since we're all, you know, Coco or otherwise, we're all retro computing people. And uh, some of this might be interesting to us. Some of us um, might actually learn a few things from it. Uh, mostly just makes you feel old. Yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah, that it does. <laughs> yeah. All right, our next news item is from Chris Lamont, Robotron 2084 disassembly. It's it's interesting because he mentions using the IDA Pro uh, program. That's been around for, for quite some time. A lot of people were using that to generate uh, game cracks back in the day, yeah. if I recall. But it looks like he even wrote his own 68000-6809 assembler that could handle the output coming from IDA Pro, so that's that's really interesting. I wonder if this is going to turn into a, a port for maybe our, our system here once he gets it uh, all set up. Yeah, I don't know. So I don't know if you remember that, that Chris Lamont was part of the community for a while. Uh, he even has um, some pretty reasonable Cocoa 3 um, documentation out that's still available on the web, I believe. I don't remember specifically what happened, but there was some kind of falling out with with him in the community. And this is years ago. I mean, decades ago, maybe. But, uh, you know, apparently he's still out there doing a, some amount of uh, retro work um, that at least brushes against the 6809. You know, we have other people that might be interested in uh, working with Robotron 2084 or, <laughs> or whatever. But, you know, we all would like to see more Williams game stuff. Um, Anyway, I just throw it in there. It might be interesting uh, to see what comes of it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. What's going on, Coco Cruisers? The original gamer Stevie Stroh here, and I'm the host of Coco Talk. What is Coco Talk, you ask? Well, we are a weekly live talk show on YouTube featuring the Tandy Color computer. And guess what? Coco Talk is now also available as an audio podcast for your listening pleasure. So when you are done listening to the Coco Crew podcast, come check us out at CocoTalk.live for weekly live talk featuring the Tandy Color computer. We'll see you there, Coco Cruisers. Have you heard of the Fred hard drive emulator for the TRS-80? Huh, yeah, spelled kind of funny, ain't it? With the Fred, you can store your entire library of TRS-80 software on a single SD card. No way. I just finished sorting all of these floppy disks. It's beautiful. Programs that run slowly from floppy disk run lightning fast with the Fred. Listen, pal, I have lots of free time, and keeping my floppy disks organized is kind of my hobby. The Fred also includes a battery-backed real-time clock. If you can't affix gum labels to it, I ain't interested. For information and pricing, contact Ian Mav via email iam at trs com. Hey, do you know where I can find some more of those big plastic disc storage cases? All right. Our next news article is from uh, Jim Gary. Woohoo. And uh, yeah, another one by Jim Gary here. It's a game called Orient Express by David Hall. Yeah. It's, um, it's a port of a 
David All is a. There's some games or some books back, you know, in the early days that were like basic games that were sort of a generic version of basic or whatever that, you know, in the era when you would type basic programs out of magazines, there were books you could get. You know, one was literally called Basic Computer Games, and I think there was another one called More Basic Computer Games. So very, very imaginative titles, but... um, But this seems to be one of those uh, that he's uh, gotten up and running. So those those books you mentioned, they were kind of like, you know, just a generic basic where it work on most machines? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if they were, if they picked one like, you know, say AppleSoft or something like that. And then usually like some porting guide stuff available that would say on the Apple II, there's this command, but on, on the Commodore, you have to do this instead. Right. You know, Commodore, you probably have to poke or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> and, you know, the R&D function, uh, you know, on the Coco was, you know, basically an integer, but on other machines, it would return a, a floating point value that you didn't have to multiply it by the range you wanted. So there were, like, porting tips in that uh, for that, but, you know, there were essentially basic you know, Microsoft style basic for the most part, but well, that's cool. All right. Our next news article is from uh, another fellow Canadian uh, by the name of L Curtis Boyle. I'm sure. Some of you have heard of him. The Canadian <laughs> with a Spanish name. <laughs> and uh, he has released uh, nitrous nine ease of use beta two. Yeah. And in fact, used. I think, um, I think as of Friday, he had just announced a beta, he just released beta three, but, <laughs> yeah, I was actually thinking that because I was going to say I, I'm pretty sure I read Beta 3 is released. These are news from the past month, so. Uh. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, either way, uh, it's a really cool project. Uh, I plan on uh, checking it out over the holidays. It'll be off for a few weeks, so it'll be fun to play around with that. Cool. I don't know if uh, any of you guys have checked it out yet. I downloaded it. I'll be trying it out as well. I, I've been trying to follow it. It's. Uh... Let's see, Curtis has been doing that. Who else has been on that project? I think there's been a couple others, I think, that have helped contribute to it. Bill, no, um, right? Bill, yep, Bill's done some stuff with it. So it's it's come a long way, I think, from when they first started. I mean, beta, I think the beta, prior to beta 2 was closed, I think, just to a very small amount of people. Right. Um, so it's good that he's opened it up. And yeah. they, they even have versions now, I guess, for some of the FPGA devices, so the Coco 3 FPGA. Yeah, I saw that. Michael Furman's done a port of Beta 2. Well, I'm not saying a port, but he certainly made it work on the uh, Coco 3 FPGA, and I think he even posted a video of that. It's very, very fast. I think Curtis is just releasing it for um, a pretty specific configuration, you know, Coco SDC or, and, you know, 512K or whatever. You know, anything that's, that comes up on a different configuration that means somebody's had to take it and adjust the available device drivers and descriptors and that sort of stuff. So Sounds like the way Nitro Stein always was. <laughs> right. But uh, so, you know, it's ease of use if you've got the right hardware. <laughs> if not, you exactly. adjust it to your hardware. But that the planet has to align and... Uh... <laughs> well, it's a good effort. It's uh, just, uh, it just doesn't cover everybody. Yeah. Yeah. It's coming along, but uh, but nonetheless, it's cool to see the project hasn't been, uh, it, it, you know, it's 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 still continuing, so which is good. Yeah, yeah. and if it if it means more people use uh, Nitrous Nine, it's a great thing. For sure. 
All right, our uh, next news article is, uh, this is actually a pretty interesting one, uh, at least for me. Uh, it's from Sam Makovich at Ars Technica, and uh, it's Al Lowell reveals his Sierra source code collection, then puts all of it on eBay. Al Lowell, he's the guy who created uh, Leisure Suit Larry. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of that game, but, you know, the other Sierra Adventure games as well, so it's kind of cool to see this. Yeah. I think there might be more to this story, but I, I couldn't find anything else that explained what happened. But uh, I seem to recall that at some point the um, the eBay auction kind of went dark or, or something. So there might be more to the story. I know there were a lot of people saying, well, he doesn't have the right to sell it, even if he has it archived and, you know, that kind of stuff. I don't know if he got, um, you know, bullied by whoever owns the, the, the rights or uh, well, right. bullying is a better thing to say, but you get what I'm saying. Um, so I'm not sure what happened there. There might be more news. Um, you know, if anybody knows what happened there, then feel free to give us some feedback. All right. Our uh, next news article is from another one from Jim Gary. Uh, it's called The Mad Computer Program. That, uh, you know, it draws a picture of Alfred E. Newman. So the Mad oh, yeah. Program. Okay. Yeah. Magazine. Okay. Yeah. The Mad Magazine uh, Program. Yeah. Well, oh, that's, that's pretty cool. Cool, cool graphics yeah. uh, demo. All right. Uh, next news article is from Michael Maidenock. We had him on for an interview, but still can't yeah. pronounce his name. I still can't pronounce. Yeah, I know. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. He was Medanic, Medanic, something like Medanic. that. I'm sorry, Michael. I can't get it right. But <laughs> <laughs> the article is uh, called Z80 Model Four versus 6809 Coco Retro Speed Challenge. So he's got a video, and he he does some. Uh, I think it's all in basic. Sets up some similar loops and, and, and program segments or whatever and and has them run. I'm not sure the Coco comes out on top of all of it or most of it, but, um, you know, it's a, it still is a valid question. We've certainly had articles like that in Rainbow or whatever back in the day. I actually watched that video. Um, I really enjoyed his interview uh, in one of our previous episodes, so I was watching this, and... It went back and forth a little bit. You're right. I'm not sure if the Coco won. The one thing I couldn't help but notice when he was running the test, and I know he was trying to keep them as close as possible, is if it would have made a difference if you didn't run the Coco in 80-column mode for some of these tests. That's true. Because I really felt that that slowed down uh, the screen updates. In fact, I wonder what a, what a Coco 2 or even Coco 1 might have done against it. Because from the display standpoint, when you run in 80-column mode, it just doesn't seem fast. Yeah. It does slow down the server. And, I mean, even he said in that video that uh, the basic was just kind of slapped together, not really optimized probably for the 6809. Well, it's a data point. But great video. Good to watch. Sure. It was. Next news article uh, is another one from Jim Gary. Hey. I, I think I've done three here in my uh, section. <laughs> I need to get a bell and ring it anytime they're saying uh, Jim Gary. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah that's right. Yeah. <laughs> We could do a do a drinking game too. Would be, uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> wouldn't be feeling much after that. Yeah. Uh, a game called The Witching Hour. Uh, the hour where you don't know which is which. Sorry, <laughs> yeah. I had to say that. <laughs> yeah. A port from a Compute Magazine PC Junior game. Kind of Jim's uh, calling card is a port of a obscure game from a magazine, like something that might be fun. Well, shortage of games to try out. That's for sure. Yeah. Well you done, know, Jim. Very good, Jim. We've got one from Jason Downs. 
I don't know much about Jason. I don't think he's been around all that long, but maybe he just had his head down. I guess he's um, acquired one of uh, Ed Snyder's new Mega Mini MPIs. They posted how he was um, taking a, the Mega Mini for a spin, is what he said. But then he turned out he had some problems uh, running the, the SDC Explorer. If I'm not mistaken, what turned out to be was that uh, the SDC Explorer, I guess, auto, you know, it automatically searches through the slots on your multipack. The algorithm that he was using basically just isn't compatible with uh, any multipack that has more than four slots. And he said, well, the Mega Mini has four slots, uh, but uh, it turns out the Mega Mini really has six slots. The Mega Mini MPI from Ed has that added on uh, the audio chip, uh, the OPL3 audio chip, and then they added on serial ports. Rather than allocate um, addresses in the FF address space specifically for those, uh, Ed is... um, Put them on virtual slots, for lack of a better term. And so the point being is that, um, you know, his four-slot MPI really looks like a six-slot MPI. Um, I understand that the uh, the STC Explorer was fixed pretty quickly uh, once that problem was uh, um, identified. Some other early adopters having uh, uh, a few issues here and there, but um, I think we'll get to, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Nothing insurmountable, just, um, you know, growing pains or whatever the, the right term is for a new product. Our next link, and this is one from uh, a Facebook group called Zill, Zork Implementation Language. So this is uh, from uh, Frederick Romsberg. This is about eight months ago, Johan Bernstein and I were talking about writing an informed game for the Commodore 64 and releasing it commercially, Infocom style. Basically, they weren't happy with uh, the available options, and um, they wrote a, a new Infocom game interpreter that uh, supports um, so Z3, Z4, Z5, and Z8 games, which if you're familiar with the Infocom nomenclature or whatever, it basically means... Uh, even the later games that wouldn't otherwise have run on any existing interpreter for the 8-bit machines. Um, and so they've made it open source from GPL2, and I'm sure it's um, written in 6502 Assembler, which, um, you know, basically makes me, I think it uh, would not be much fun to deal with. But if, uh, if you were a 6502 guy that also likes 6809, um, maybe this could be a project for you. And so... <laughs> Porting over this a new interpreter, or perhaps writing your own new interpreter, because I'm sure there's lots of um, you know Z8 games or whatever that might be fun to play on the Coco. So, not a Coco project, but it could be. Very cool. All right, well, moving on. Another one from Jason Downs. This is in the, the Coco Facebook group. Says there's been several hardware projects demoed or at least mentioned over the past couple of years, which don't seem to have appeared. Whatever happened to the PS2 mouse adapter or the Ethernet neck? Now that's not really news by itself. Um, he's really just asking a question, but I included it um, to, to sort of have the discussion. That um, Jim Brain actually responded to him, basically replying that, um, well, you know, this is a hobby for people and. Um, you know, sometimes projects don't get done as on a timely basis as we would like, and uh, 
sometimes asking uh, when is it going to be available, is it done yet, or how much will it cost, uh, isn't necessarily helpful. <laughs> so uh, he does point out that uh, David Ladd's PS2 mouse adapter um, is pretty much done, but just as a project, so he's not offering it as a product, which, you know, project versus product is a, a, a meaningful distinction. Uh, and then he also points out that uh, that his project it was Coco Nick, and um, he says it's basically ready. Uh, there's some physics code to make it run, but um, there's not a lot of general purpose code to uh, to use with it. And so he doesn't feel like that makes it worth turning his project into a product without any software, which is something we sometimes see a little too much of <laughs> in the Coco community: is people turning their hardware projects into products with no real software behind them. You know, it's always tempting to think that somebody's going to come up and write software to go with it, but it doesn't seem to happen as often as we would like, does it? Yeah, software's king. You do need it. <laughs> Just a little discussion point there, but uh, I took it in the news. Oh, well, if you don't like it, blame me. All right, here's one from Matt Voss. He says, I ported it to the VC200, I ported it to Dragon32, so here it is for the Coco, Blitz, coded in Color Basic 1.0. Uh, it's a semi-graphics game, looks like you're bombing a city. How <laughs> <laughs> um, Monday. Um, I don't see it in motion, just a picture, but like I said, it looks like a bomb dropping on the, uh, on the an office building or something. So if uh, if you're looking for a, a way to spend a, uh, an afternoon um, destroying things <laughs> in in the virtual world, then maybe um, Matt's uh, Blitz game would be fun for you. Take out your frustrations. <laughs> exactly. Did you know that the average business person receives 190 pieces of information each day? Is your business or organization struggling to coordinate and track important tasks and events? Then you need Calendex, the automated computer calendar. Calendex is easy to use. Just enter due date and information on an electronic file card. Calendex starts reminding you of upcoming events a month in advance. And Calendex will keep reminding you until you tell it that the item has been taken care of. The Calendex chain of command feature allows each member of your group to have a personal ID. Calendex will report seriously overdue items up the chain of your organization until they are taken care of. Use Calendex every day and always know what tasks are coming due. Never miss important deadlines. Feel secure that everyone is up to date. Keep a permanent record of activities. Experience the power of Calendex for yourself. For a limited time, Calendex for the color computer is available for only $35. Calendex from Grantham Software Division, the automated computer calendar. Learn how to use your computer for more than just games with Hot Cocoa Magazine. Hot Cocoa is packed with business application programs, home management help, programming tips and tutorials, product reviews, and more. Subscribe for just $24.97 for 12 issues. That's 30% off the newsstand price. Let Hot Cocoa show you how much time you can save with your color computer. And save even more time with Instant Cocoa, the cassette version of Hot Cocoa Magazine, containing all of the programs that appear in the issue. See the latest issue of Hot Cocoa Magazine for details. Hot Cocoa, available at fine retailers everywhere. Okay, so the next one, 
There's a DIY Game Genie for Atari 2600 using an FPGA. We hear a lot about FPGA projects, quite often used to emulate the Coco or whatever, or often used as um, either FPGA or CPLD, used as the brains of some add-on for the Coco or whatever. But this is kind of a different take. Of course, it's for the Atari 2600. That's a different device, but... The basic idea, I think, uh, is applicable. You know, you could plug something into the Coco's cartridge port and then plug a cartridge onto the other end of it and then, you know, intercede in certain memory accesses or whatever. Those of you who don't remember the Game Genie, it was a way to do, well, to put cheats into games. <laughs> uh, I think it was originally for the for the NES, and there may have been similar devices for some of the other games, uh, consoles. Anyway, again, this is a, not a Cocoa project, but in the it could be in the kind of department. Well, it'd, be, it'd be nice if some of our hardware geniuses would uh, build us a, a, a Cocoa game genie uh, so that um, you, you could do your own hacks or whatever and uh, come up with your own cheat codes so you could have uh, unlimited lives in uh, uh, the Spectrum Analyzer. No, wait, unlimited lives in, uh, <laughs> in Donut Dilemma or... or <laughs> whatever you'd like to have. Um, it could be fun, don't you think? That's I think it would be a good could, device. It would be nice to see somebody build something like that. I could finally beat the Contras. <laughs> In the Spectrum Analyzer, you could make the highs look higher than they really are. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Okay, so the next one, let's see. This is from Chad Simpson. So he's been working on a Digger 3, so a follow-on to his previous Digger game, uh, which is a Load Runner clone. This one doesn't show a picture, but it's got some, if you can find other pictures of his work, um, it looks really good. Uh, so there's an updated version of Digger 3 with a blind fix to allow it to work on two mag machines, fixes the warp codes and input handling, along with a little bit of polish. So apparently he, did, he posted an earlier version um, that some reason wasn't working on mags. If you're one of those um, hot-rotted uh, Coco 3s with two mags, um, you can use this version here. Looks like a cool game. I mean, it already was, you know, the earlier Digger was already a cool game. And, of course, Digger 2, uh, the Saint, or whatever exactly it was called, Revenge of the Saint, something like that. Return of the um, Saint, I think. Return of yeah, the Return Saint. Of the Saint. And uh, Digger 3 looks like a, a, a worthy successor to those. So looking good, Chet. So the next item is chip on breadboard 6809 microprocessor doing sets. This is a video on YouTube of a guy that looks like he took a ceramic 6809 and hooked it up to a breadboard and has it doing the sex instruction over and over and over again. <laughs> You're gonna hurt yourself like that. That's right. <laughs> Too much sex. Uh, so this, you know, when you're, um, if you ever want to build your own uh, microprocessor board or whatever, it's uh, an early step to kind of uh, ensure that the processor is up and getting the clock and voltage and all that properly. And uh, sometimes you you hardwire it so that whatever memory access it does, it gets a a one byte instruction, and you can kind of monitor that and see uh, get an idea if the process is working and that's basically what he's doing here this um this 
reminds me back when I was working at Microware, James Jones and I, and James, if you're listening, you might get a chuckle of this, but James and I would often have discussions about compilers and uh, compiler code generation because James worked on the LTC compiler. And he always, James always would say how the 6809 uh, compiler would generate a lot of SEX instructions uh, due to the sign extending that had to be done, and he would accuse the 6809 compiler of uh, gross violations of gratuitous sex. <laughs> <laughs> Good memories. All right, the next item is a visual defragmenter for the Commodore 64, so this is pretty cool. Looks like a guy wrote a disk defragmenter for a Commodore 64 and a 1541 disk drive in BASIC. Yeah, pretty cool. And then um, not only that it can do the defragmenting and whatever too, but uh, that it gives you the, the graphical display. I think um, a lot of us have seen these back in the days of, of MS-DOS or whatever when that was always your first, uh, how do I fix my small machine? Well, defrag the hard drive. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so, but this, um, this, that's the same kind of thing here, but uh, always kind of fun to watch the defragmentation take place. Um, maybe somebody can build a cocoa version. That'd be cool. Oh, that'd be nice. Awesome. The next item is RetroRix PGDM issue number one. This looks like a disc magazine. Uh, is this for the cocoa? Yeah, it is. It's um, I don't know what PGDM stands for. Pretty good disc. DM must be yeah. Disc magazine, I guess, is what yeah. DM stands for. Um. But, uh, but yeah, it's uh, got a collection of uh, programs or whatever. And if you download the PDF, it's basically just um, a description of uh, some files on the disk, I guess. And, um, you know, you got some programs that you can run. Anyway, it's uh, Rick's attempt at uh, reviving a disk magazine similar to the old TND software stuff. Right, and uh, Coco Friends Disc Magazine was another one by, uh, whose name escapes me, the guy from Kentucky. Yeah. The Coco years ago. Yeah. Very good. All right, the next item is the source files are based on the contents of the Unravel series as published by Spectral Associates as updated by Walter Zydek by William Astle. So this looks like, looks like William posted the source to the, Various Cocoa ROMs from the Unravel series. Is that is that what this is? So this is a HG, you know, Mercurial um, uh, repository. Uh, so a code repository. But he's gone through the the ROMs and you know apparently he he, he seems to have found um, a number of places that he felt were the comments were inaccurate or, or or just plain wrong or whatever, and he's corrected them. I obviously, have not done anything to validate that. <laughs> um, so your mileage may vary. Who knows? But you know, I'm sure there probably were mistakes uh, in the in those books, just because it's a lot of stuff to do. So maybe Williams has straightened some of that out. If you um, were ever puzzled by some piece of the code and um, were not satisfied with the explanation you got by looking at the books, uh, or if you've never looked at the books, mm -hmm. maybe you want to check out uh, Williams' uh, repository and see what he has to say about it. And if just in case uh, it's not really well known out there, the Toolshed repository has the source code for all of those Cocoa ROMs in it. 
So I had done that some time back. I had taken the source code out of the Unravel series and extracted that into source files that could be assembled by, uh, I think, LW tools. So. Mm -hmm. All right, the next item is Digger 3 Demo RGB Display by Retool Retool. This looks like a game, or looks like Chet's game, actually. And it's a YouTube video where Henry is playing the game and showing the, I guess, very, very close-up shot of the game as he's playing it on what appears to be an RGB monitor. Correct? Yeah, yeah. Um, like I said, it is very close up. I'm not sure why it's so close up, but <laughs> but yeah, it does show the game. Um, this is one we we're talking about just a little bit earlier. Um, and you can see the, how nice the graphics look. And yeah. it's basically a load nice. runner style of game. Yeah, the graphics are very, very good. And up close, you can see a lot of detail. Thank you for that, Henry. And the last uh, link here is a Facebook post by Jason Downs titled, So What Do You Guys Think? Bad Drive. And it looks like he's posted a couple of screenshots of a Cocoa uh, running several disk commands and what might be corrupt data on the directory. You know, there's a lot of uh, diagnostic or, or trying to help or whatever in the, in the in the comments. You know, this is a guy with the Mega Mini MPI. At first I thought maybe it was a problem. Um, but then it, he also has the the boomerang um, uh, two meg upgrade, and uh, it's a lot of kind of new hardware and unknowns involved wow. in getting this yeah. weird results. And I think um, what well what the current thought is, but I'm not sure it's 100 percent worked out. But uh, the last I've heard is the the thought is that. Um, the DAT board for the boomerang, which is a, the the board that goes up under the CPU and uh, allows you to go to the, up to two meg uh, with the boomerang memory board, that there's a kind of a, a a problem with the implementation of the address bus buffering. So basically, you don't always read from the address you thought you're going to read from. Is is essentially what it amounts to, which is why you got why he's showing all this weird stuff. Um, <laughs> on the screen. Something to be aware of. You know, buying uh hardware fresh off the presses sometimes uh <laughs> um sometimes you're gonna have problems, right? Yeah. And uh you know, especially new designs or whatever. So that's kinda where we're at on that one. But uh sort of a caveat emptor. Um if uh you know if you're buying new stuff you gotta sometimes be prepared to, that things may not work just like they're supposed to, and you may have to work with the vendors to um, get them fixed. So, Cool. Very good. Thank you. That's the end of our, um, our news segment. So we'll take another little break, and then we'll be back with some feedback. Make your Tandy color computer more versatile with great additions from Radio Shack. The Tandy multi-pack interface is just $99.95 and allows you to connect up to four program pack cartridges. Easily change between the four slots using the front panel switch or switch slots under software control. How about adding an 80 column adapter? Just plug in the WordPack RS cartridge to your color computer and attach a monochrome monitor. It generates crisp, clear 80 column text with true upper and lower case characters. And it's just $99.95. Find these and other great color computer products only 
at Radio Shack, a Tandy company. Your Tandy color computer is powerful, but it's plagued with one problem. Clunky expansion. Bowtech Instruments has the solution. Quality hardwood cabinets for your color computer. Eliminate that mess on your desk by transferring your computer components into a single elegant case. Our beautiful wood cases have room for your color computer motherboard, disc controller, two half-height floppy disk drives, and an additional 5x7 board, such as an 80-column card. Each case is precision milled in our factory and includes a high-quality switching power supply for all of your color computer components. Each case includes a matching hardwood keyboard enclosure for your color computer keyboard. Stop fighting the mess of cables and adapters that take up all of your desk space. Make your system shine with a new hardwood case from Bowtech Instruments. Cases are available in your choice of hardwoods, oak, maple, cherry, walnut, and teak. Another quality computer product from Bowtech Instruments, Utica, Michigan, USA. All right, Cocoa Cruisers, now it's your turn to talk to us, so it's time for some feedback. Uh, we have a couple items this, uh, this month. First item comes from uh, Salvador Garcia. Uh, Salvador says, uh, like the extended talk about the stack. Maybe something else to mention is how it grows, whether it's upwards or downwards in memory. If this was mentioned, oops, I've got retention problems. <laughs> well, don't we all? Yeah, so, so stacks well, stacks grow downwards in memory, but uh, if you're like me, that um, isn't always a by itself, saying upwards versus downwards doesn't necessarily tell you what you need to know because when I was getting started, when I think of things, for some reason I always put the, the lowered numbers at the top of the page, <laughs> kind of like if you're, you're going to write a test, uh, you get ready for a test uh, back in grade school, they say, take out a, a new sheet of paper and number it from 1 to 10. Well, number 1 is going to go at the top of the page and number 10 is going to go at the bottom of the page. But when they talk about your stack growing downwards in memory, well, the the address location 10 is at the top of the page and address location 1 is at the bottom of the page. So it grows downwards in memory, but it means that the addresses get smaller. I think I said that right. Anybody disagree? Okay, man. No. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Moving on. Uh, this one is from Steve Stroh, not Steve Stroh Bridge, but Steve Stroh. We've met uh, Steve Stroh at uh, Cocoa Fest this year, a big man who gave me a big hug. Um, <laughs> I'm sure that's quite because I'm not a very small person myself, so um, a couple of big guys in the corner uh, hugging. Uh, maybe a few people said, what kind of party is this? <laughs> uh, he says, I enjoy catching up on the news of the Kogo Community Monthly. I think I've said before that I think the monthly format is the, quote, right frequency, at least for me. My favorite segment is the news. I always enjoy hearing all those tidbits. Well, thank you, Steve. It's good to know that somebody enjoys the news. Uh, it's always the biggest part of the program. It's always the part that gets me my jaw feeling a little tired by the end of the session. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that's uh, that's all the feedback I think we have this month. We always love getting feedback uh, through any means, uh, so feel free to send us um, email, feedback at cocorecrew.org. Send us a tweet uh, to at Podcast. Write something on the Facebook uh, group, the Crew Podcast. You know, reach out however you feel. But um, let's hear from you. 
All right, uh, we'll take a little break, and uh, we'll, we'll be back with a little discussion. You're coming in loud and clear. Must be a realistic CB radio. Ten four, good buddy. It's my new 40-channel realistic. Radio Shack's got it on sale right now for only $79. I saved 60 bucks. That realistic sure is a good brand. Ten four on that. You can depend on realistic. Where are you headed now? Back to Radio Shack. The new 4K TRS-80 color computer is on sale for just 349 bucks. Ten four, good buddy. Color graphics, sound, joysticks. Talk to you later. Whoa, where are you going? Radio Shack, of course. The realistic 40-channel CB radio and TRS-80 color computer on sale now. Only at Radio Shack, a Tandy company. All right, welcome back, Coco Cruisers. Normally, we would have a host discussion on some sort of open-ended, maybe slightly controversial topic. Maybe that's what we're going to have anyway. But <laughs> uh, instead of contriving a uh, well-crafted uh, or barely thought of or whichever kind of question this time, uh, since it is the, the end of the year, we thought we would have uh, a little bit of an end-of-the-year discussion. Now, granted, we had our community roundtable, which will also be part of this episode, but uh, I don't think all of our hosts were available on that. In any case, this is a more of a what do our actual hosts think, not what is uh what does anybody else think? Who cares, right? <laughs> but I think we're just going to throw out a few things as people think of that, um, you know, what kind of things happened over the years, not in any particular, certainly not in chronological order, not necessarily in any kind of order of importance. It's just more of a, what are the hosts, uh, what pops into our heads as we go out? I'm going to start the so 2018 year in review for the Coco. Uh, this one's uh, kind of close to me, um, but 2018 is um, the the year that uh, the Glenside invited uh, outsiders into their leadership. <laughs> Not totally an outsider, but uh, you know, Glenside started as a uh, a local club years ago, and it's always been run by people, at least in the Chicagoland area. I've been uh, attending their meetings, um, you know, electronically for some time. This year, the elections came along for the Glenside uh, officers, and um, Tony Pedraza nominated me for president, and then uh, there was an election, and I came out as president. So uh, hopefully that's uh, for the best, but uh, one way or another, it should be a little bit of a change for Glenside. Maybe not too big. We're still going to have Coca Fest the same place and mostly run by the same people, but um, hopefully it's the start of, uh, of an improvement. New blood. That's a good thing. Yeah, it's good to see some uh, some fresh ideas, and uh, the, the membership's been pretty static for a while, so it's always good to mix things up once in a while. Yeah, I think so. You know, it's always – I think a lot of us have some um, some pent-up um, ideas maybe on how things should be different or should have been handled differently, you know, well, for a long time perhaps. Some things, um, some things we can change – pretty quickly. Other things might be a little more difficult to change. I know uh, uh, we had a discussion of uh, moving to uh, use a, a mailing list as opposed to just having to type in a dozen separate email addresses when we wanted to send email to the um, to the people that attend Glenside meetings, and that was uh, a lot more controversial than I would have expected it to be. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, so sometimes uh, change comes slowly. 
we'll see. Um, it might be come next year that they kick me out on my rear end and, uh, and elect somebody else to be a president. Um, or maybe not, who knows, but, um, in the meantime, we've got Cocoa Fest underway, getting closer. We'll need to get some artwork for our fest theme that's still underway. I think it's a good thing, John. I mean, you've you've always been very passionate about the, the Cocoa, you know, the, the starting of the, the podcast itself and everything else you've done. So I think it's in good hands. Well, I appreciate yeah, that. Now, how many Cocoa Fests have you been to? I mean, it's not like you're some newcomer either. <laughs> Well, I've been, I went to 2001, was my first one. I, I had been to PenFest 2000 before that. And then I've been, I missed one probably around 2004, 2005. But otherwise, I've, I've been to all of them since then. So, so 17. Yeah, that's, wow, that's, so, that's amazing. 17 out of 28, not too bad. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, if you look at the trickle effect, all this, you know, with you, John, being one of the founders of the podcast and, and trying to get renewed interest in the community. I mean, if you think about what has all progressed or, or transpired since that time, I mean, I think there's a lot of people right now in the community that, that could, you know, if you work your way backwards, it, it, it would be the start of that podcast again to drum up interest, uh, you know, in the cocoa. So, well, I definitely agree, and uh, that's definitely what I think. Um, it's, uh, I'm not sure everybody keeps that in mind all the time, but uh, sometimes, uh, well, a lot of people's idea of history starts the day they were born. Sometimes it seems like there are people whose idea of history starts at the end of their nose. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, you never know, right? But, um, you know, there are there are a lot of people in the community now uh, that um, – well, a lot of them are, there's a lot of new people versus, say, you know, people that weren't in the community at all four or five years ago. Um, and there's a lot of people who have as much claim to being an old-timer as I do, maybe more, but maybe had um, faded away for whatever reason that have come back since there's uh, been, uh, you know, a sh shown some signs of life or whatever. Uh, one of those, um, you know, um, side effects or whatever over the past couple of years has uh, has been, um, you know, the other Coco show that's out there, uh, Coco Talk. You know, they started out pretty disorganized, but, uh, you know, kind of a let's get together and chat about Coco Fest kind of thing. And I, I think they would agree with that. But they've been at it for a year and a half now, something like that. And uh, they get together every week. Uh, sometimes twice on Saturdays. <laughs> um, they've become uh, you know a bit more organized and and um, put a little a little more thought into their their shows and and do a little bit more preparation or whatever. And uh, I've gotten where I've enjoyed their shows uh, um, more and more as they go on. That's a big plus. Maybe one day I'll be able to retire from the podcast and still have somebody to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be cool. Well, we of course have nothing but best wishes for Coco Talk. Uh, some may see us as uh, as uh, competitors. Uh, sometimes it's tempting to think of that. Um, once in a while, they may uh, nag an interview that we were hoping to get, that sort of thing. But uh, you know, for the most part, most part, we're uh, you know happy to see the extra activity in the community. 
what else has been happening this year? One of the things that uh, has been the continuing topic for the past couple of years has been um, adding audio chips or audio cards or whatever to the Coco. Uh, well, I was going to release an enhanced version of uh, Farfall that takes advantage of uh, the um, uh, audio chip on my Game Master cartridge at Coco Fest, and that uh, kind of at the last minute. I discovered there was a, a problem where I was getting a, a lot of noise that was unanticipated. It seemed to um, vary a bit machine to machine, but uh, still was more than I could tolerate and feel good about it, um, selling a product. So I delayed uh, delayed uh, shipping on that. I'm uh, now reworking those cards and hoping to get something out uh, next Coca Fest. In the meantime, we have seen uh, some interest in, uh, in the Game Master cartridge from other sources. We still know of at least one game that's made some pretty decent progress. There was the um, Coco PSG card that uh, was been released, but um, I haven't seen much activity around that. I, I don't think I've missed it. Are you guys aware of any activity around that? No, nothing I could see. No, no unless unless someone has a project they just haven't announced yet. Yeah, you know, there might be. Maybe they'll spring it on us. I mean, I think Ed's put out a lot of documentation on it and things like that, but um, I, I haven't heard of anything. Yeah, I mean, Ed's done some demo stuff there, and that's cool. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know go if ahead. Mega Mini's been around long enough for anybody to have done anything with the uh, uh, the OLP3 right, sound so either. So the Mega Mini has been released, so that's yet another option. I do think. I think programming that chip is going to be a, a little bit extra complicated compared to, say, the, the, the 76489. It's not insurmountable if somebody wants to do it. And, and certainly, <laughs> if you if you kind of don't use all the extra features, then it's not that much more complicated than the, the chip on the GMC. But then, of course, then you're not using the extra features, so why did you go with the extra <laughs> complicated chip? But, you know, whatever. Um, the point being is there were some people that were saying, well, I'm waiting until the super duper OPL three chip is coming out and that's going to be awesome. And say, like, well, it's out now. So put up or shut up, uh, is kind of where, where you're at now. If you say you wanted a, an audio chip to develop a game, well, you've got three options out there. They're all available. Let's have some games. I want to have some games that actually use a uh, hardware audio. Um, that's what I started the whole GMC thing for, was to get some games out there. So are we going to see some games in 2019 that use them? Well, I mean, I certainly intend to have one out, um, maybe more than one. Who knows? But anybody know if anything else is uh, likely to come out? You know, I do have a question on on the audio chip with with Ed's PSG versus the Mega Mini. Those, those are two different audio chips, correct? Completely yes. different. Yes. Okay. Okay. You know, personally, um, for folks that have an MPI, I think if there's games developed for the Mega Mega Mini MPI, that may be a little difficult to just buy that to get the audio chip to play that that game, whatever may come out. Um, you know, maybe he'll consider making a version that's cart or some add-on, but uh, I, I wonder how that's going to work, you know, with the Mega oh. Mini and, and people developing oh. for it. If there's that many people that need MPIs, and maybe that will be very successful. Yeah, maybe. Well, it's hard to say. 
so maybe uh, while we're inventing products for other people, uh, maybe uh, a, a Cocoa OPL3 to go with a Cocoa PSG. Because <laughs> we have to have the name Cocoa in, the, in the, all our products, right? Yes. Um, I, I do know uh, Chet Simpson, uh, when he releases Super Sack Race, uh, he's going to put in uh, support for different sound cards, including the GMC. So that, that's cool. Yep, that's, uh, that's what he said. So uh, hopefully we'll see that coming. I know Steve Bjork has said that he intends to support the um, the, the OPL3, uh, so we'll see what he comes up with. What does Sir Sound use? Uh, Sir Sound uses the uh, the SN76489, <laughs> the same as it was in the GMC. Uh, this serial attach, which has you know, that's going to create some limitations on how fast you can either how fast you can feed audio to Sir Sound, or how much CPU time you have to do anything else. So I'm kind of skeptical of the game applications of Sir Sound on the basis of that, but you know, I guess it depends on the game and the music. Yeah, no, I only mentioned it because I I thought I remember seeing something on on Steve's show. A, a, quite a while ago, where um, Steve Bjork had mentioned that he he thought Allen's was was the project to support with regards to sound. Yeah, I remember him saying that before he decided he was going to support um, Ed's thing or whatever. But Sir Sound isn't really a uh, isn't being produced, right? I mean, it's just kind of a roll your own thing at this point. Is it, is it or is it? Can you buy it? Uh, I, I don't know. I, yeah, I think Allen mentioned he might sell some at a at a I thought one of the past shows we just had, but I, I know he's been kind of. Well, I know they talk about I, making I a board or something. Update. The only thing I've seen is a bunch yeah. of breadboards tied together. So yeah, yeah. I don't think anything has been available. Who knows? They might come available for sale tomorrow, but uh, I'm not aware of anything in production. Mm. So let's stay tuned, I guess. Yeah. Mr. Turtle, how many megabytes does it take to get a good deal on a Cocoa hard drive? I have no idea. Ask Mr. Owl. Mr. Owl, how many megabytes does it take to get a good deal on a Cocoa hard drive? Oh, let's find out. 10? 15? 20? Oh, it's 20. Looking for a hard drive for your color computer? Ask the Owl. Owlware is the leading provider of hard drive systems for color computers, offering 20, 40, and 80 megabyte hard drive systems. Our complete hard drive packages include the hard drive, case with fan, SCSI controller, LR Owl interface, and software. Fully assembled and tested. 20 megabytes, just $495. 40 megabytes, just $609. And an amazing 80 megabytes for just $875. All our drives come with a one-year limited warranty, and parts and labor are covered for 90 days. We've earned our place in the market by providing products you can be proud of. Customer service, quality products, and sound design. For all of your hard and floppy drive needs, remember to ask the owl. <laughs> Owlware, located in Mertztown, Pennsylvania. What makes Daddy feel like doing flips? What gives Mother such happy fits? A Cocoa Flip's simply super fine. Take a close look at the Cocoa package. Now, get Cocoa today. Remember the name, Coco. You'll love its wonderful thrill. Well, let's talk about keyboards. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the uh, I know Cloud9 came out with their Cool Touch 
uh, you know, at least kind of the prototypes. And of course, we got to play with them, and we had them at Cocoa Fest, and it's awesome. And uh, as I understand it, Mark's made some significant improvements uh, to the product. Yeah, yeah, he's been using the term Gen Three. Uh, almost like he's got a little brand name or something going on there, a marketing strategy. I'm not really sure I know what uh, Gen 3 is supposed to mean for Cloud9. Does anybody know? Be, yeah, it's third generation. Third generation. Product. It's a platform terminology that Mark's using. I'm personally looking forward to some type of Mylar replacement. I, I I actually have two keyboards that are in very good shape, one for a Coco 2 and one for a Coco 3, where – you know, I just need something to get those things working so the Cocoa looks stock again and I can use the original keyboards. No no, no slam on the PS2 adapter because Mark's PS2 adapter works fantastic, and I'll leave that in there. But I would love to get my original keyboards working. Yeah, it's nice to have original keyboards. Ed Snyder's uh, working on a mechanical keyboard as well. I have not heard any updates on how where he's at with that. But Now, that's a whole replacement, though, right? You're not using the uh Right, it's not an original key- keyboard. It's a whole new thing with switches, so I'm sure it's not right. going to be cheap. No. And, he, and he bought that uh, laser engraver so he can engrave the keycaps. That's dedication right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sure it's going to be really nice when it's uh, when it's done. But yeah, quite a bit of activity on the keyboard front this year. Well, it's, along with the keyboard uh, activity, of course, there's the 2 meg upgrade activity. Uh, we've seen um, I think it's public that uh, Mark's uh, working on a 2-meg, and uh, if not, yeah. I just made it public. That's <laughs> also uh, on Gen 3 uh, release as well. Right. The uh, boys in tech, uh, Richard Lorbieski, uh, Boomerang or whatever, is um, out there at 2-meg. So there's a little um, uh, boys in tech uh, kind of got a little cute, I would say, and, and released uh, a white paper describing how to use uh, the Boomerang's DAP board to, to get more memory out of the triad. <laughs> what did you guys think of that? Boys on Tags being it, showing that you could you could plug up his his DAP board to the triad and, and uh, use it to get a mag instead of 5 okay? Yeah, yeah I, I saw that. Uh, I never did try it. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys did. Yeah, in fact, I do recall. I think um, Richard had mentioned that, um, yeah, it would just run it at one meg if you did some modification. That, but that Mark wouldn't support, you know, obviously tinkering with the uh, the triad board. Yeah. Yeah, I just thought that was a little a little cute, shall we say? But uh, what about again. Paul Barton? Paul Barton had a. Wasn't he working on a? I, I don't think he was working on one for mass production, but I think he had one up to eight eight meg. Thought I saw posted this year too. Yeah. 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 Jim Jim Brain have like a sixty four meg or something like that. Yep. What happened with though? I have not heard anything from from Jim with regards to his. Any updates? Have you guys heard anything? No, I haven't heard anything. Yeah, the, Jim's kind of fell off the face of the earth with his uh, memory upgrades. I'm not really sure what's going on with that. Yeah, because there was uh, he was working on one for the color computer one and two as well, wasn't he? One twenty yeah, junior. Yeah, the junior. So yeah, that's uh, what it was called. Mm-hmm. Well, as you say, these are these are uh, it's a hobby and uh, life gets busy sometimes. So. <laughs> All right. What about the infamous two hundred fifty six color gimme mode? Uh, that had been a hot topic for uh, off and on for years and. Um, 
Uh, Nick Morantis in particular seemed to be the champion of it. And then at some point this past year or so, it seems to have turned sour for a lot of people, uh, especially for Nick. Is the 256, um, you know, are, 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 have we completely given up on the 256 color <clears throat> mode? Or did we believe it in the first place? <laughs> is it is it uh, completely out of the question now, or is it still out there? My personal opinion, I don't even know if it matters at this point. John, I know you've had some projects where you've shown you can, you know, you can get quite a few colors on the Coco 3, you know, so is Sockmaster. Honestly, me personally, I felt like the whole discussion on Facebook was horrible. I thought it brought out the worst of a lot of people on the in the community. I mean, there's a lot of back and forth with disagreements on things, but man, I, and I don't even know Mr. Siegel, but everybody was just piling on this guy, right, wrong, or indifferent. Man, that was. I just, yeah. I just didn't, li- I didn't like it at all. I, I thought that was, was like, probably one of the worst things of 2018 with regards to our community. It was like watching someone club a baby seal. It it was, and you know what? I haven't seen him. Po- I mean, if he's posting or doing anything more, I, I haven't seen anything. Again, I don't know him. I'm not trying to be the defender of him. I'm not trying to, you know, say people are wrong for for their thoughts. I just thought that was just a bad moment. Well, if that's what it took to put this damn myth to bed, so be it. Because I'm sick of hearing it. Um, I wrote about it in the book. I talked to John Prickett about it, who didn't even remember it, and yet some people kept dredging it up and wanting to find something that wasn't there. So I'm glad it's done. I hope it's put to bed. Uh, if if they want to resurrect something like that and then you give me X, hey, that's great. But uh, trying to find some mysterious mystique color mode in a in a 30-year-old ASIC, I think, is just uh, it's a waste of time. Yeah. Well, as, um, you know, when it comes up, to, you know, as I, I'll often post the link to the video I did, I mean, you can get, uh, well, eight bits worth of color, you know, roughly 256 colors on NTSC in composite video mode. You know, some of the people who most strongly advocated for there being a hidden mode refused to believe that it could possibly be an NTSC-only mode, <laughs> um, you know, which, you know, why is that so hard to believe if you could believe there's a hidden mode in the first place, right? But, <laughs> right. Um, but, um, so anyway, there is something there. It's not available in the PAL world, which, you know, all the whole, all the rest of the world other than the U.S. and Canada, except for, you know, France and anywhere else that did CCAM, was PAL, um, fine. But, uh, you know, the, the gimme was designed in the United States and that's where they, (laughs) uh, I think most of, uh, their market probably was, so. You can't deny you can't deny it exists just because it didn't work in your country, right? But again, it still doesn't match the what the myth said. Like you said, maybe it's time to let that myth die. There is a way to get the extra colors, but it's not uh, in some fancy mode that that no one knows about, it's, or at least it's not in some fancy mode that is pretty to deal with. It's in a a very specific mode that really is a kind of an ugly hack. Or maybe it's a beautiful hack, but it's still a hack. <laughs> okay, well, enough on that one. Well, so uh, Ron mentioned uh, the return of Paul Barden. Uh, we've also mentioned uh, the return of Chet Simpson. I'm not sure if there are any other names on that level that have returned to the community um, this year, but 
just those two is a kind of enough. Uh, any yeah. other? I think J- Jeremy Spiller. Uh, well, that's true. Jeremy Spiller yeah. came back with the, the the blog post or whatever. Mm-hmm. What does that indicate? Did uh, those communities strong enough to to do uh, merit some attention from some old timers? I like to think so. I think they had this resurgence in the community over the last uh, three or four years, and uh, yep. uh, I'm sure they can't ignore that. Or, or if people find themselves reaching out to people that haven't been with the community for a while to ask questions, and that kind of uh, piques their curiosity. Well, definitely good to see uh, the return of a few folks. Maybe we can um, get a few more folks uh, to return. One way that that might happen is through um, somebody reaching out and interviewing uh, people. Uh, we've had a, a few interviews um, over the months here in the Cogo crew. Um, there have been uh, interviews, um, particularly in the past few weeks, over on Cogo Talk. Are we bringing any old-timers in with the interviews? We would love to talk to people. Uh, if there's anybody out there who um, falls under the former Cogo luminary uh, <laughs> category, um, you know, we would love to interview you. We'd love to interview just about anybody that do um, reach out, or when we reach out to you, please respond, uh, and please don't assume that we're the other people. I think that's happened a few times. Had a lot of assembly language uh, tutorial talk over the past year, the Long Branch Never video series. Um, how many of those did they get up to, though? I think there were only a couple made. Um, there's a... a, a a fairly lengthy series by Steve York uh, on Cocoa Talk. Simon Johnson is always out there trying to help people. I'm sure that's not too surprising. I'm sure there's just a bunch of people who got to Chapter 3 and then never got back to it. When you say Chapter 3, Mike, are you, talk, are you referring to the book? Yeah, I'm really referring to books when you you, you, you know pick up the how-to books and, and, and start to learn assembler. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, it, it's a, I think it's pretty common that people want to get into it. I mean, I, I try to get into it, and it's uh, it's good, but you, you need the time to really lay those foundations down. If you're not doing it all the time, it's easy to forget. Right. Well, it makes me feel better because that's exactly what happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's a realistic. You know, real life intrudes is what we always say, right? Hopefully there'll be... Uh, some re, uh, re-energizing of those tutorials, get some people in on there. And, um, and I think it helps. Um, a lot of people out there who at least say they want to learn, hopefully um, they'll find uh, the strength within to, to follow through on the learning, right? Right. Along the same lines, um, there was a talk of a, an actual Rainbow Magazine kind of revival as like a PDF-style you know, magazine um, but mostly it was um, kind of a mock-up. I guess there were a couple of articles contributed to the mock-up. We got it to a few pages, but there's only the one issue or whatever, for lack of a better term. Um, it looks like Mark Overholzer is trying to revitalize that within the past week or two. If, you, if you'd like to write <laughs> for the Cocoa community, uh, reach out to Mark and... Uh, See if you can get that going. It'd be nice to have some kind of uh, rented, written, maybe printable kind of thing to to consume each month. That'd be kind of cool, right? I would offer a suggestion that if that magazine doesn't take off, if there's an outlet for people where they feel like they want to write articles and contribute, I, I say get them to the Glenside Club. 
it's it seems like they're always you know that that's a nice newsletter I, I am sure most of the club members would appreciate getting articles from other people in the community to add to it just to help out yeah that's a great idea well this is a great point and uh it would be nice to have some some good articles uh more good articles uh, to put in the glenside newsletter uh which the next one should be coming out within the next week or so. Uh, yeah, so. and if and if Ron has that creative bug still to do um, logos and things, maybe maybe stuff for the club newsletter, if the rainbow one doesn't work. Yeah, well that's true. That would be good. Uh, it, it would be cool to have a you know a monthly magazine, but uh, it's really kind of an uphill climb in in the internet world in which we live when you can just simply post something you wrote on a blog immediately. So that's true. Tough. Kind of tough to find. I mean, real magazines are are having those difficulties. So. It's uh, definitely tempting just to go ahead and post a blog. Uh, you know, anybody can get a blog. You can get get it hosted for free. You don't even have to learn very much to work the software. <laughs> yeah. So it's um. You kind of have to go out of your way not to publish before you get it into a newsletter. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, speaking of uh, creative endeavors and um, publishing, um, well, we did have something kind of interesting that uh, finished up this year. I think it started late last year, but or maybe even mid last year. But um, the D. Bruce Moore's um, Coco-based um, radio drama or whatever multimedia drama, really Coco Forever. Not really a mystery, I guess, but <laughs> time, you know, alternate reality um, story based on time travel to the past and what would happen if you could make uh, the right choices for the Coco to, to become a dominant uh, computer. Definitely a little bit outside the box, shall we say. Good to have some outside the box uh, projects there. What about, uh, is this the year of RS-232 Internet? Neil got his um, BBS up online. He can get to it uh, over Telnet. Uh, theoretically, you get to it over with a Cocoa. Yeah. Is anybody doing that? Yeah, I got a lot of Cocoa users on there. Um, seems to be pretty popular. I know yeah, most, people, they, most people mention on there when they sign in that they're using a Cocoa 3. And uh, so that's cool to see. Yeah. Yeah, I've done some of it too. Got a couple of those ESP8266 modules, and but honestly, now with DriveWire, uh, iDriveWire, it, they make it real easy to use. And now you can use your, you know, if you don't want to go into Nitrous Nine or Duzix, you can do it right from Disk Extended Color Basic. You, you can do very, very easy telnets out using, you know, the DriveWire protocol. Very simple to do. It, it makes it nice. Well, this year we saw, I guess it was this year, we started seeing these HDMI cables uh, in production, you know, like the... Uh, the switcheroo? Yeah, switcheroo-adjacent cable. Yeah. Right, yeah. Anybody using those? Needs a converter. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've used one. I supported them. I, I picked one up. Uh, it works it nice. Works yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a nice, uh, crisp picture. Good solution. I think that's the future of Kogo Displays? I don't know if it's the future, because um, like I said, you do need that converter box. you got to go from SCART to HDMI, so, you know, it's two extra things you need. But uh, but it does work nice. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, uh, I'm still my, using my, CRT, so yeah, yeah, that's yeah. I'm still doing RGB. Yeah, same here. <laughs> so they probably won't last forever. Who knows? Maybe they will. They will. Yeah. I won't believe anything else. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you, Mike. I I got backups and I got an LCD that does RGB. So <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> and we're still using dot matrix printers. That's right. In 2018, we had a, a second round of Tandy Assembly. I think that was a big success. It was. It was great. So still charging forward on uh, there'll be one in 2019 and hopefully beyond. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, no plans to stop. Yeah. Very good. Tandy Assembly this year was very good. I mean, I, it was a shame that you and Boise weren't there. Uh, I, I thought you guys were missed. I mean, it. the show was still great, but, you know, you guys are a key part of all that. And um, but the nice thing is I, I interacted personally, I interacted with a, met a lot more people. And unfortunately that means I spent more money on a few other TV products that I didn't necessarily <laughs> need. But uh, it, it was really great to work with, with Mike and Neil. So thank you guys for allowing me to help out where I could. Oh yeah. Thanks for helping. And yeah, we, yeah lots we of people were, were asking about uh, John and, uh, and Boise. And uh, of course, when they ask about Boise, it was always about him owing them money. <laughs> yeah, I'm skimping out on my bills in the Coco community. <laughs> yeah, about. Oh, Lord. Well, so all those people asking about uh, our, our lack of attendance that probably are part of the um, now more than 75,000 downloads of Coco Crew podcast episodes uh, in all for all time. Just down. Uh, more than 30,000 of them this year. That's awesome. That's uh, pretty impressive, I think. So that's a good year. Pretty, It's nice to see some good download numbers. And, uh, you know, if we didn't have an audience, we'd just be sitting there talking to ourselves, which we could probably have more fun doing without uh, without recording. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, nice to have an audience talk about things that people are doing and uh, express our own approval or uh, support or maybe in some cases disapproval depending on uh, you know the case like the case of uh, you know jumping on uh, uh, jumping on somebody been kicking them when they're down that sort of thing but um, it's been a good year hopefully we can finish out 2018 here and uh, next week and uh, 2019 will be another good one, maybe even one better. Well, so um, maybe a round of predictions. Anybody have a prediction for 2019? I have a prediction that Cloud9's Gen 3 products are going to seriously rock. I was going to say Cloud9 again, just like you. Yeah, my (laughs) prediction was more hardware coming to the community. I'm going to go out on a limb and predict there's going to be some new software coming to the community. (laughs) <laughs> well that would be nice uh, in both sure. cases um, I think we're going to see some new cartridges I think uh, yeah. you know, I think we'll see some uh, stuff coming out to support the uh, GMC yeah well I definitely hope that well, this is a, a year we see some actual you know, audio hardware using games or other software come out whether it's the GMC or one of the other solutions 
you know, the biggest issue is, you know, you got to have the software and have some notion that it's going to play some music. <laughs> and once you've done that, you, you can probably uh, adapt it to any one of the solutions to some degree. I have uh, a prediction. I predict that a new controversial new game will be coming out in the first part of next year that will take the community by storm in more ways than one. <laughs> that involves somebody racing in a sack? <laughs> or a racing sack depending racing on sack yeah <laughs> well that uh, that's probably a good one I predict strong attendance uh, at uh, Cocoa Fest if it's strong enough it may even force us to consider a new venue for uh, for 2020 so there you go if you want a new venue then get uh, you grab your mama and your pa and all your cousins from down in Arkansas and drag them up to Cocoa Fest I do have a cousin in Arkansas. She just moved there. <laughs> no, no joke. Awesome. Yeah, let's let's uh, bust the doors down this year, Cocoa Fest. Give those elegant elevators a workout. That's right. If you, if you haven't been to Cocoa <laughs> Fest, this is the year to go. 2019. Definitely. They are nice elevators. A little slow, maybe, but. Well, that's probably all I got. Any other predictions or any other discussions from the year in review? Why don't we call this segment to a close, take another break, probably be back with the roundtable for December 2018. Coco Tuner makes tuning musical instruments a breeze, precise enough for concert piano tuning, easy to use for music students and teachers. The Coco Tuner plugs into the cartridge slot of your color computer. Connect a microphone to the cartridge and you're ready to tune. A pitch comparison is displayed on your Coco screen. Bands indicate whether you are below or above the correct frequency. Accurate within .003 hertz of middle C, Coco Tuner can be used to tune any musical instrument. Coco Tuner, just $89 from Real-Time Specialties Incorporated, Gypsilani, Michigan. I'll never forget landing at O'Hare and the cab ride to Lombard. When I checked in at the hotel, there were already people in the lobby eagerly discussing the Coco. I recognized people I had never met in person, some by their faces, others by their voice. I couldn't have imagined how meeting people that shared the same passion would rekindle and re-energize me. So many ideas and experiences. Some of the people I met there became lifelong friends. Oh, wait, none of that happened because I never made the decision to go. Haven't you waited long enough? Coco Fest. For reservations, call 630-629-1500 and ask for the special Coco Fest room rate. Coco Fest is May 4th and 5th, 2019 in Lombard, Illinois. Coco Fest. Make the trek. Welcome Grant Leedy, John Strom, L. Curtis Boyle, uh, Mark Bosley, Mark D. Overhauser, getting a little uh, crap about his middle initial earlier. <laughs> um, Mike Rowan, the infamous Myro, Neil Blanchard, Blanchard, <laughs> sorry for my uh, lazy accent, Paul Thayer, Ron Delvaux, Ron Klein, welcome all. I guess this is, a, what, our, our third one of these, uh, we're trying to get to... Just a little roundtable discussion, sense of the community, just a general kind of unscripted talk about the overall health of the community and uh, 
kind of what uh, what issues are out there. Maybe talk about uh, unveil some projects if anybody wants to do that. Anybody would like to have any opening remarks or say hello or introduce yourselves? I, I guess my I, opinion my is opinion. is that the Cocoa community right now is probably the strongest it's been in several years. I know I said that last year too, but it's it seems to be accelerating as I mentioned on Cocoa Talk today. Yeah, I'm definitely happy with the overall state of things. Um, uh, I think we've been growing, not maybe not phenomenally, but uh, definitely strongly for, uh, like you say, for a couple of years now. I think that's been helpful. Like I said it helps build the market a bit for um, to show people are interested in things so that people who might want to bring out a new hardware project or a new software project but might otherwise not be motivated if they think, well, what's the difference? Nobody will use it. I think we're demonstrating that there are people out here who want to use things. <laughs> uh, crazy people. Some people actually spend money on things. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think overall we, we, we're doing really well. Yeah, I have to agree that the community has been stronger too. I mean, um, I think a lot, like Cocoa 3s in particular have been getting kind of rare or expensive on eBay. So people are actually trying to find ones even that are broke because they're cheaper. And now we've actually got some people that are willing to repair them. I mean, Mark and, and Richard and others that if you're not comfortable doing soldering and stuff yourself or trying to figure out, you know, if a capacitor is blown or whatever, that you have a, a place to go to now or a couple of places to go to now to get them repaired. And then we can start resurrecting some of these machines rather than, you know, get dumped off in the dump or something. Well, that's definitely good. Yeah, I do. Uh, you know, you get the the, uh, the eBay complaining periodically anyway, but uh, I've been chuckling lately about people complaining about the prices of Cocoa 3s or whatever. And, you know, people complaining, well, I was looking for Cocoa 3s, but every time they show up, they're $100. <laughs> and then I laugh. It's like, 100 bucks, man. It's, uh, it doesn't seem like that big a deal to me. But, you know, it's it's one of those... The reason why they're there is they're that price is because somebody wants to pay that for it. <laughs> so, yep. you know, it's kind of a sign of strength, right? There weren't that many of them. So um, I think if, if you, for anyone going back through the, the Coco Crew back catalog in that first year or so, I think um, someone, maybe it was Boise, um, uh, kind of made the proclamation that, that $300 was going to be the going price for Coco 3s. And there were a few that sold in that range, and then they started coming down again. You know, <laughs> maybe they're on the way back up again. Who knows? Well, you got to soup them up, you know, to get those high prices. Put a nice <laughs> uh, 512K badge on there, and uh, it's all good. Well, maybe. Uh, then how long will it be till the, um, the the virgin ones are the ones going for the high prices? <laughs> well, that's, you know, it, it's a circle, right? It'll just keep going around. It also depends on the purpose of the buyer, too. Box. Because yep. some, some buyers buy it for collectible and they want the stock, you know, yeah. fresh in the box thing, and others are actually using them. They right. want to soup them up. So, well, so about with a month, about uh, the numbers matching box. Yeah. You start to see the correlation to, say, the um, the, uh, the classic cars or whatever. You start talk, seeing people talking about matching numbers and whatever. Uh, I'm sure there is some interest in that. I'm not sure we've flipped over to the, the level of interest in that that you see in you know when somebody buys a car, but we may never never get there because so many people don't don't have a box <laughs> or or the numbers don't match. Doc Cubs or, or Megs. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I don't know. I, I still you know when I when I get to looking um for something, I'm always frustrated that somebody'll they'll throw up a, a cocoa, you know, barely have a picture of it. 
And, uh, you know, they'll say untested and I can't possibly test it. And it's like, what, well, you don't have a television <laughs> or whatever, but just getting them to flip it over and, and, you know, cause some models are more interesting than others for when it comes to the Coco twos. If you, you know, if you have that level of interest, it's kind of important to know which serial number you're getting or not serial number, which catalog number you're getting. But a lot of times the eBay listings or whatever, then nobody bothered to take a picture of the bottom. <laughs> so you can't tell. And sometimes um, it seems like they steal pictures from other people's uh, machines because you'll get a, a melted keyboard Coco 2 and then bottom of the machine says it's a 27B. Right, right. Well, and that's uh, the other thing, too, is uh, I suspect um, even back in the day when you bought them new from Radio Shack, uh, we've seen some evidence that, uh, that Radio Shack was doing upgrades and and changing the catalog numbers or yeah. or swapping the boxes or whatever. It's not quite as pristine. You know, there's no federal registry, right? So <laughs> <laughs> people working on them don't have to go and enter any information. Uh, oh, I put this part, uh, you know, this new engine block in the in the, uh, <laughs> in the yeah, chassis. I, friend, I had a friend of mine that happened back in the day because he had an E-board Coco and he took it in to get a 64K upgrade and they just figured it would be easier just to swap him an F-board. So they... Swap the circuit board, but gave back his original case, original serial number, and everything else. Right. And, you know, who cares, right, at the time? But nowadays you might have somebody, like you said, looking for um, one of, an E or D or whatever board or, like you say, specific uh, Coco 2 models or whatever. Who who would have thought back then that anybody would care? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because yeah, back then it would be, I want 64K. That's all I care about, as long as it works. You know, what's amazing is we don't know how many Cocos were manufactured, do we? No, we would have, you know, best guess uh, and wink and a nod from Mark Siegel or whatever. I think I think Boise's book kind of con- uh, contemplated maybe as, as many as 2 million, but I'm not sure that counted Coco 3s. No real way to know at this point, you know, unless somewhere there was some secret record keeping that's uh, still available in the Tandy archives down in Fort Worth or we need a uh, documentary archaeologist or whatever the term is. <laughs> Nobody else in the community keeps track of serial numbers of, like, the communities, like, in the Atari world or anything else. Is there, like, a registry that shows how many people have certain machines and maybe the model numbers or, or serial numbers? I'm not talking about maybe doing, like, a uh, Carfax report for Cocos, but... um it might be interesting to see how certain machines are passed around throughout the community if, if they're sold off. And the reason I bring this up is just a few minutes ago we were talking about how there's a lot more uh, places to go to get your equipment repaired and things like that. You know, short uh, when you talk Coco 3, short of like the Gimme and a few other things that we know of, um, it seems like most of these machines are pretty repairable. So as I look over my collection, you know, there's times I'm like, well, you know, I have a couple extra of this. Is it time where I let some of those go, maybe get them out into the community for people that don't have them, knowing that that'll help with my budget if I want to get something new, and um, knowing that if I need to get it repaired, I can. I'm not sure if anyone else thinks about that type of thing. That's a good point that, I guess, I mean, we've had at least Mark Marlette's been active for a while, but, you know, we at this point we have more people um, you know, even, you know, like say Richard and, and, uh, and, you know, probably a few others that are Jim brain, for example, uh, right. That are commercially repairing the things or whatever. Maybe that does make it easier to let go of some of your spares. <laughs> um, you know, it's not quite as irreplaceable 
you know, certain parts, of course, you know, gimme chips aren't falling from from trees or anything, but um, at least until Ed's done his gimme X. Yeah, right. That was uh, one thing I, I uh, uh, wish I had a thought to to, to text in there when you guys were interviewing um, Frank Hogg. Uh, you know, he said he bought up those supply of uh, gimme chips, but I don't think he said what happened to any of them. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, I don't know, because he said he only, like, manufactured and sold 25 TC9s, and I mean, I know where, you know, seven or eight of those went, because we were supporting them afterwards, but sure. I mean, he's, from my understanding, he said he ordered, like, hundreds of them or something, so. Yeah, I thought he said as many as 500, Yeah. Um, and so, like you say, if there are only 25 TC9s, uh, then there's a, a few hundred uh, gimme chips that are in the wind somewhere. <laughs> yeah, if we get his nephew, uh, Richard Hogg, on there, maybe he'll remember where they all went to because he was more the active developer frank was more the salesman so well that'd, that'd be cool have that uh find that horde <laughs> well every once in a while that happens uh, in these kind of communities right where somebody will inherit uh an old warehouse or something and uh they'll throw open the doors and there'll be brand new boxes of something you know and it's uh somewhere there's bound to be someone with a, a bunch of uh <laughs> cocoa parts or oh one of those uh mythological things that it could happen, you know, you never know. Hmm. But uh, maybe there'll be one full of uh, unshipped MM1s or (laughs) (laughs) something like that. Yeah, the closest I can think of it would be the the, uh, keyboards from the Deluxe Coco that Tandy kind of salvaged and resold. There you go. Scrapping the rest of the motherboards. Be cool if somebody somehow saved that scrap. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Sell some Coco Deluxes, that'd be awesome. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, I only know of one Coco Deluxe. The uh, Boise has. That was from Microware. He got it from. Or? Well, he got it from someone that he interviewed for his book. Uh, and I think it was on loan. I'm not sure they actually want it back, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Because <laughs> I do know, like he's he's put up the drivers that Microware wrote for the Deluxe Coco up on the archive. So obviously yeah. they had at least one unit. There, so I don't know if that's where he got it from when he was working. Yeah, I don't think he got it through Microware. Oh, um, so there's another one out there then. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if it wasn't yeah. shot out in the yard or something. Those two wouldn't be shipped with 86 gimmies, would they? <laughs> no. I no, no. These idea. are deluxe cocos, so wouldn't even have a yeah. gimme. Yeah, they didn't have oh. a gimme. No? Not yeah. at all? No, they, they, they were. The Coco 3 had a gimme. Uh, so some of you have uh, participated in the Glenside calls recently. Does anybody have any comments on uh, the state of Glenside? Uh, is everyone happy with the new leadership? <laughs> Sorry, I missed that call. Actually, I was busy with work, so I didn't get a chance to even follow up to see. Have they released the meeting notes yet? Or uh, I don't think we've seen the uh, minutes from from the the most recent one. Uh, that was. Yeah, then I have no idea what you guys talked about. <laughs> Only two days ago. Yeah. Yeah, I was soon. Yeah, the uh, I feel like the meetings have been a little shorter, <laughs> so I think that's probably better. What, under three hours, or yeah, they were more like an hour. The last one, I think. Yeah, last um, week's went, uh, yesterday's went fast. Yes, um, improvement. Well, it helps too that um, the, the 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 library there they seem to have gotten it together this time where they were already ready and online, so. So that was good. How are you finding running you the meeting to... from from remote? Not too bad. I probably uh, could use a cheat sheet on the rules of order. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
do you maybe want to explain to everybody like what are some of the changes that we have been discussing like the uh, number of tables the cost and everything yeah well this uh, those are two big changes i think um when you see the uh, the exhibitor application, you'll see that it basically says limit w one extra table. You can get one, and then if you want a, on the second one, you, it's okay to ask for it. But we have people asking for two, three, four, whatever extra tables. We're trying to, um, because, because we're basically a full in the venue. So we're asking people to, to limit themselves to one extra table. At the end, uh, you know, if we do have some space left over, we may open it up to those who want a few extra beyond that, but no guarantees on that part. Other change was we're changing the table cost from uh, $10 to $25. I don't think that's going to break anybody. <laughs> no. Um, no. That's still cheap. See. Yeah. Then electric um, is 40 right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's, okay, that's one other thing is we are offering another option uh, that they're calling a, a place to call home or something like that, which would basically give you access to, to a half a table, which basically would just be a place to park. And, uh, you know, if you just want a place to be able to sit down, you know, a non-vendor, you know, no selling. And uh, I think that's going to be, I think that was $15. Those will probably be seated in the auction room. We had some complaints from some vendors about being in the auction room and not, them not being able to continue working while the auction was going on. Trying to balance things out so we can get the you know the, the real vendors together in the main vendor room of where they can work and display and not be interrupted by shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask on, on this, like this is new to me that you guys are doing this sort of half table parking thing there. That central area where we eat and where there's all the tables and stuff like that, is that just not available because of seminars and stuff? And that's the reasoning for that? or? Yeah, I think we're going to keep that for seminars. And, of course, that's where the, the meal will be uh, Saturday night. After this year, are we, are we considering maybe moving to a bigger location? That's been discussed from time to time. We'll definitely have to consider it. It'll depend on... You know, if for some reason the attendance were to, to fall through the floor this year, we probably <laughs> we probably <laughs> would look look differently at it. Any other thoughts on uh, community business, or, or is everything going all right? Any well, I would just wanted, wanted to say I was able to make the ten the assembly this year, and I think the show was a well done show. Yep. Got yep. Some, yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think that was an awesome yeah, show. It was a Thanks. It was well well done, and uh, I love the new facility. I mean, that is just very, very nice compared to what it was the previous year. So we didn't lose electricity a little bit show or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't able to go, uh, but I've heard nothing but good reports. Very pleased that that is working out. Uh, again, sound of strength of the community. I think um, the attendance was up for the second year. Comparable, but slightly up, if I'm not mistaken. So that's good. We've had a little bit of a... The scheduling uh, hiccup there uh, ended up in November instead of October. I believe they're trying to do October for 2019. Yeah, we're trying. Uh, it may actually slide back into September, but uh, we'll, okay. keep you post we'll keep you posted. There's a question on Facebook. Uh, what's the average attendance of Cocoa Fest? I don't know. What was the final number this last year? 117. That's what I heard. Is I think that was about right, 117. Yeah, sounds right. Previous to that, or well, the previous year was one is comparable. It was above 100, or close to 100 at least. Five years ago, it was closer to 50. 
So, wow. Um, so, yeah, uh, I think down there. <laughs> Cocoa Fest has had a wide range of attendance. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, you're talking about um, you know, the year you, you, you only sold one game. Uh, I apologize. I probably should have bought one that year. But um, that's about the time that, uh, you know, things were brewing to, to, you know, get started with the, you know, the podcast and, uh, you know, some of the blogging and, and whatever else that I've uh, started doing. And uh, it's like that, it was getting kind of grim there for a little while. <laughs> yes. And, you know, and, and really, you know, John, you, Neil, and uh, Mike Rowan, it's had a really big effect on the community. And uh, that's not to dismiss the others that's happening, okay? I mean, you guys kind of, you know, David uh, Throwbridge was starting to put some things out there a little bit some games and then found you guys and like really got involved in the community. And so all this is kind of stick kickstarted each other, you know? Yeah. And I think we're a vibrant community today, you know? So you mentioned and, uh, Ron Delvo. We may have to, to lean on him for some artwork for, uh, for Coco Fest here coming soon. We've uh, got a couple of good ideas for um, themes for Coco Fest, but uh they're good ideas, and we've got music, <laughs> but we don't have any artwork, which is what we need most uh, right now. We may have to well, pass and, it off to, to Ron. And, uh, I was thinking uh, of making a, a logo for Coco Fest so that anytime you have a theme, you'd always have the logo for Coco Fest. And okay. the, theme, the theme can change all the time, but the uh, Coco Fest logo would stay the same. And Almost like a brand. Same. Yeah, it because um, and then it becomes synonymous with, you know, Coco Fest. This sure. way, like, if if you were selling products and it was honored at Coco Fest, you know, Coco Fest would be the logo on who who's ever ad or whatever. That's kind of what corporate thought is or whatever, you know, with logos and stuff. That's an sure. idea. Cool. Well, be happy to see your submission. So do we think we can outdo Coco Fest that we did last year? Well, do you think I we hope all, so. I think we, hit a... <laughs> I, I think we can. I think we really can. I had a couple of topics that I had uh, thought maybe it'd be worth having a discussion. Kind of like a we have the host discussions on the Coco Crew. So the the, the first one I thought is one that um, you'll see newbies show up uh, in the Facebook groups or whatever. And this happened this week, and I kind of commented on it that, um, you know, they'll, they'll say, hey, I've got this machine, and how do I hook it up to a TV or something like that? And the first thing is somebody says, oh, you need to get Coco VGA. And somebody say, somebody else will say, well, it's not worth using unless you have Coco STC. And then somebody else will say, well, you got to get a boomerang, too, so you can run Nitrous 9. And everybody kind of piles on. Yeah. And... I'm wondering, you know, is this a good thing or a bad thing? Are we scaring off some new members by creating the impression that, you know, the machine by itself is kind of useless <laughs> or that you need to make a big investment to make it useful? Uh, and then yes. come to the side point, does that indicate that some of us in the community or maybe a chunk of the community is kind of bored with the standard machine? <laughs> Well, I think it tells us we the community ex, is excited about it. So they want yeah. everybody to know, hey, you can do this, you can do that. This is something we really like and we found we use with it. 
I agree. I mean, it's a positive because it shows them that the community is still vibrant and still being actively developed for that you you got all these options now. But we also have to, like you said, John, both Johns, that uh, you get, we have to step back and also say, but you can use it perfectly fine the way it is doing this and this. You know, you just need a cable for uh, or an RF for a composite capable monitor or, or TV set, et cetera. Um, sure. That you can use DriveWire, which is fairly cheap if you just have a PC or a Mac kicking around in the background. You don't have to buy an SDC. I think just give them all the options, but you have to make sure that you're giving the options both of the current new WoW stuff as well as, you know, assume the guy has no budget at all. He just barely got his Cocoa, whatever it is. What can you do with that stock the way he has it? You know, I think it also depends on if you have someone that's just starting off from scratch with nothing or if they've had a collection and are just reviving it. I think the path is a little bit different yeah. for each one. Yeah, because, uh, you know, I'm just uh, concerned or worried about the guy who, um, you know, he just happened across, a, you know, a Cocoa 2 in a in a thrift store and um, bought it for five bucks and thought, hey, I, I remember these. I'm going to play with this. Then uh, he starts asking about it and he starts rallying, tallying up uh, <laughs> all the upgrades and uh, not to mention the Cocoa 3 that he's got to get for $200 or whatever now. <laughs> and it's like... You know, realistically, most people still have, uh, well, probably a lot of people still have a CRT laying around somewhere. And they, most people, even if they have a, a modern TV, if it's truly a television, not a monitor, then they probably can still plug in the um, the RF output and get a, a video on that. And so one cable for the television, and then uh, if you get a cassette cable, then you can plug it into your cell phone and play uh, uh, wave files into your machine, and that's, that's enough to start getting uh, started with, uh, you know, you can play Clendathu uh, or something like that. <laughs> so, uh, we don't want to create the impression that um, all you can do is plug in your cell phone and play wave files into it. You know, we do have all these other options. Right. We want people to know that uh, there's a broad range available. So I guess it's just a matter of tuning a little bit on how quickly we jump on the newbies. <laughs> <laughs> or at minimum, answer answer their questions before you propose all of these alternatives. Yeah, that's probably true. That's probably the point. Is you should, if they have a question, we should answer it before you tell them <laughs> what else they should be asking. <laughs> right. Well, we that's have the. So, how do you think uh, our our blending or interactions are with the dragon folks? Could be improved. Yeah, we're not one community. We're we're two oh. communities. Yeah. Well, the pro there's a problem with. Uh, I, I think um, the dragon is Coco 2 and 1 based. Okay, it's not Coco 3. And it seems like they're more uh, cassette based also. The majority Probably of the software so. they have is cassette based. Uh, they have floppies, they have, you know, go ahead, what? There is one other issue with the dragon community too. Most of the people that I've talked with and people have, they they don't really seem to be looking for new things. They seem to be focused on old things. They like to collect the original you know, cassettes and stuff like that. And so they're not really, a lot of the newer things don't seem to sell really well. They don't really seem really interested in it. So what you're saying is they're classic British boffins. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they're, yeah, they're classic. It's, they want it just like it, like it was. And, and that's, yeah. that's where they're at. Well, I mean, they still like new software. I mean, there's been like dungeons and now this new thing that Paris yeah. has been doing and stuff too, which I think has been fairly popular. But yeah, maybe they're not as used it's, to, or not as mo wanting to be as modernized as we are. Right. Yeah. There might be. I could see that. People I've talked with. 
No, I try to I try to include them on on postings and stuff. Um, and uh, I get some you know I get reasonable responses from from them. I've had uh, actually had some interest on uh, uh, the GMC technology from uh, from the Dragon folks. It's been uh, uh, rewarding. Um, but it's only you know, seven or ten people, you know, out of the yeah. you know four or five hundred that are there. It's the same yeah. ten people. Well, that's true. Uh, I do wish we could get them. Uh, uh, mixed in a, a bit more. I was gonna say we should have uh, we should uh, arrange some sort of prisoner exchange where uh, <laughs> we get a couple of them to come to Cocoa Fest and then maybe a couple of us go to their dragon gathering they have wow. each year. Um, I've been wanting to go to that myself is is really the secret. But <laughs> yeah, and maybe we can have them on our shows too, like as a, a dragon guest spot type thing to kind of go over yeah. some stuff that was unique to the dragon and also. To get some of the cocoa people more interested on their side of things as well. Well, so that was my clever segue, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I think you guys talked about it today about uh, the, the work Pear Surat has done, getting the arcade the game designer software um, ported or retargeted to where you can target the uh, the dragon and presumably the cocoa. Um, with this arcade game designer software, which is, you know, well, it's exactly what it says. It's a, a, one of those uh, programs that lets you, you know, design the game without having to do all the programming. What do you think of that? It looks like a cool way to add, to expand the um, the game repertoire quite a bit. What? I, I see it as a twofold thing. I mean, one, there's 150 to 170 games ready for the Spectrum that's based on that same engine. So it's not from I understand, too hard to port those. But it also makes it easier for people that aren't into machine language programming to come up with the programs to make decent arcade quality games. So we can exactly. also create new stuff that's never been seen on either platform before. So I see it as a twofold thing where we'll we'll piggyback on it, get a bunch of new games from the spectrum first, but we might also get some new game designers who are capable of designing great games but don't have the programming experience to do so. Exactly. Like you said, it's um, game design and game programming Two totally different skills. They happen to lightning strikes in a few individuals, and they do it well. Um, but uh, <laughs> they, you know, they definitely are separate things, and this helps separate that out the design from the actual programming, or at least some of the programming. Hoping to see some good developments come out of this. Uh, definitely have seen what look like pretty playable games come out to this tool and, and similar tools on other platforms. Can you make a ROM pack with it? I don't know. Maybe some of those games would be on a ROM pack or qualify for using one. Or yeah, I haven't looked that. deep enough into how the engine works and all that, If it, how hard it would be to make the code uh, live in a ROM pack, but I bet that you probably could, you know, with a little elbow grease at least, I bet you could make it happen. Yeah, and a big advantage to doing that is, assuming it can, and I'm pretty sure you're right, it could, is that you can use the double-speed ROM mode, too. So you can write the game, test it on the RAM side, and then have your game run much faster on, on the actual hardware like you did on Farfall. So exactly, exactly. That's, uh, that that has the potential making games that you wouldn't normally be able to make at speeds on the Cocoa 1 and 2 you wouldn't normally be able to achieve. So what do you think the uptake might be? Do you think people are going to pick this up? Do they need to be nudged? Do you think we can encourage people to do it? Uh, I guess what I'm getting at is um, we've had a couple of people kind of hinting or asking about contests, and uh, nobody's quite stepped forward to actually sponsor one. 
So if I did sponsor an, an a, a arcade game designer contest for Coco Fest, would we have anybody that would uh, that would participate? But I figure you could have two categories. One would be porting the existing arcade game designer, uh, the existing games, to the Coco, and then another category would be doing an original game based on the arcade game designer, or using you know using it to create a new game. Or the cocoa. Do you think anybody would play? I, I guess uh, it depends how far along his, his tool set and stuff is, because it sounds like it's not quite ready for prime time. It's like it's enough to port, but I think you have to know the ins and outs quite a bit. I don't know if they we would have enough time or if they get far enough along on that for this upcoming fest. Okay. Well, consider this the uh, floating of a trial balloon. Let me hear from you if you think you'd be interested in the, in a contest, if you'd actually participate. We're only going to have zero or one or two <laughs> people, then it's probably not worth it. I could just hand you a few bucks. <laughs> but feel feel free to uh, to we'll comment on the uh, on the the uh, simulcast of Facebook or uh, send me an email or send uh, feedback at cocoagree.org and uh, let us know what you think if you'd want to participate. But yeah, I was thinking you know we could put up a, a meager cash prize, you know, a hundred bucks or something like that, and. Uh, I think it's a great idea. We just have to see, is it ready enough to have it ready in time for this upcoming fest? That's sure, uh, sure. at this point. We just had a question from a listener, John. Okay. Uh, they want to know if the game could be sexy. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I, I don't see why not. You know, what, was, of course. There's no rules. How, how, how sexy uh, are you going to get with a Coco game? I don't know. <laughs> what was that? What's the game that Boise always tried to? Company? Boise always tried to get that picture for that strip. <laughs> oh, the stripper or whatever? From yeah, the systems? strip game, yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's a strip poker port for the Coco, too, so. There, there was Leisure Shoot Larry, I guess. I mean, that's kind of sexy, right? Or some of those text adventures, uh, Madame Rose's Massage Parlor, et cetera. <laughs> <laughs> Rick Adams, I see you joined us. Hello, Rick. How are you? Hello. Glad to be here. Welcome. So, what do you think? How's the how's the community doing these days, Rick? Oh, it's doing great. Everyone's great. <laughs> well, who else have we not heard much from? Um, I see Chet Simpson lurking. Uh, Chet, are you there? Yeah, I'm just hanging out, eating some Doritos. <laughs> <laughs> What flavor? Is that code for something? <laughs> no, man. This is the Cool Ranch. I mean, I, I, I put these on everything since I was a kid. I mean, you want a BLT? It's a bologna, Dorito, and, and lettuce to me. It, so. nice. That's funny. There's a, a, a little uh, local restaurant chain in the Pittsburgh area called uh, Romani Brothers. I think there's three or four locations, something like that. But that's that's what they're famous for. Whatever you order, they all, they put it all on the sandwich. So if you order your sandwich with fries, they put the fries on the sandwich. So. <laughs> I like yeah. that. Not bad. But, uh, so if you're ever in Pittsburgh, then stop by Permanent Brothers. So who's left? Uh, Mark B. What is it Bosley? Is that right? Yes. Coming to an end. So, any any final thoughts for us? How new are you back uh, to the community? So, back in uh, '85 to '89, I actually worked for Tandy as a uh, bench okay. tech. So, I was actually repairing everything from the Model Ones up through the 6000s, 3000s, whatever. 
but uh, acquired Coco's back then and pretty active in it. Uh, mm-hmm. They pretty much sat in the shed for 20 years, uh, dug it up a couple years ago just to fire everything up, test it out, and get it all running again and put it all away. Back in, what, September, I think it is, I stumbled across uh, the uh, Coco Talk Live channel on YouTube. Wow, there's a community here. Yeah. <laughs> to, um, to me, that, that, whole, uh, that whole thing is just like the uh, Coco Club meetings we used to have. You know, that's cool. back in that same community again. Um, yeah. You know, that, uh, and so I'm getting, getting more and more into it. Started, uh, uh, got my uh, computer actually out on the desk to stay out on the desk and start working with it. So Neil, how about uh, you? Got, you got any parting thoughts or? Well, I I think uh, 2018 was a good year. Uh, that's for sure for the Coco, and uh, I got a feeling 2019 is going to be even better. It's going in the right direction. Cool, cool. It's gonna be, uh, you know, I got a, got a couple projects myself going to release uh, 2019, and uh, I know a lot of other people have stuff going on, so uh, it'll be pretty exciting. So, any of those on ROM cartridge? Yes, they are. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Myra, are you still with us? Still here. Any uh, final thoughts for the for the recording? Just wish everyone a happy new year, and uh, 2019 should be another great color computer year and another great uh, Cocoa Fest. Very good, very good. Well, I think this has been a, a, a nice segment, another great roundtable. Uh, we've done, a, this, is, this is our third one, I think. Uh, planning to do at least one more before Cocoa Fest. And then uh, after that, we'll see what we do next year. No promises, but uh, I think these have been successful so far. Um, again, it's been a good uh, end of the year. Um, very good uh, 2018. Uh, thank you, everyone. Uh, well, thank you, everyone, for being a part of a great community. And, of course, thank you, everyone, for joining our our, uh, our uh, recording here. So uh, seeing our, our participant list, it's uh, thank you, Chet. Thank you, Grant. Thank you, Mr. Strong. Thank you, Curtis. Thank you, Mark Bosley. Thank you, Mark Overhalser. Thank you, Myro. Uh, thank you, Neil. Thank you, Paul Thayer. Thank you, Rick Adams. Thank you, Ron Delvaux. And thank you, Ron Klein. Okay, climbers, this is avalanche country, so let's keep it quiet. So what have you been up to lately? Oh, man, I've been having a blast with my TRS-80 Model 3 and 4. What's making it so fun? I've added the M3SE from Bartlett Labs. What's that? It's the Model 3 system expander. It gives you solid state hard drives on compact flash, ethernet, a real time clock, and you can connect an SVGA monitor. That's incredible. incredible. Shh. Sorry. It also has an Atari 2600 compatible joystick board. You can play games like never before. Wow. Wow. Works with the Model 3, 4, 4D, and 4P. The 4P can even automatically boot from a hard drive image. Where can I get one? Get carried away with your TRS-80 Model 3 or 4 with the Model 3 System Expander. Visit BartlettLabs.com for details and pricing. Were your taxes a mess last year? Do you look at your bank balance and wonder where all the money went? Then you need Coco Accountant 2. This home and small business accounting program is all you need to answer the three big questions about your money. Where did it come from? Where did it go? And what can I deduct from my taxes? Spend a few minutes with your canceled checks, credit cards, receipts, and payroll stubs. 
The 32K tape version stores 450 entries in a single file, 500 for disc. The 64K version stores 900 entries on tape or disc. Our happy customers say this is the most useful program they own, and you'll agree. Only $34.95, tape or disc. Coco Accountant 2. From Federal Hill Software. Fine products for the Color Computer, Dragon, and MC-10. Hello, Coco Cruisers. This is John again with another helpful text segment for the Coco Crew Podcast. <laughs> this time I've been asked to cover some detail on how uh, keyboard scanning is done uh, for the Coco. And since it's pretty much the same as the Dragon, I'll, <laughs> I'll throw in a few details there as well. Uh, so, what is a keyboard? Right. Well, so a keyboard is literally... A, um, an array of switches, shall we say. And so, how, do, how is this dealt with? On the actual the keyboard's circuit board, these um, uh, various switches, which are already kind of in a, a matrix-like layout, are um, logically forced into an actual matrix, uh, meaning uh, something that could be said to have rows and columns, or something like a spreadsheet. You literally have separate circuits or separate wires that um, connect. Well, each one sort of connects a, a sequence of switches, and some of them connect them in the order of uh, the you know, the horizontal rows uh, of a matrix, and some of them connect them in the uh, the vertical columns of a matrix, and so. You know, any given switch, when it closes, it connects a certain row to a certain column. Um, so, if you recall from some of our very early um, tech segments on uh, Cocoa Architecture, and if you don't recall, then you really should review the first year or so's worth of uh, tech segments. Anyway, as if you recall, the Cocoa has a couple of Motorola 6821 chips, which are also known as peripheral interface adapters. Um, these are used to implement the various peripherals for the Coco, including the keyboard. And so one in particular is is used largely to implement the keyboard. And so if you recall, a PIA has two 8-bit data ports and the various bits can be configured either as input or output. What's been done is port the first port, port A, uh, which would be at uh, address at address um, FF00, is uh, representing the horizontal rows of the matrix. And uh, the second port, port B, which would be at uh, FF02 is wired to, for the vertical columns of the matrix. And so, port A is then configured for reading. All the bits are inputs. And then port B is configured for, for writing, so all the bits are outputs. So it turns out that uh, one, one bit of... Um, Port A is, is used for a different kind of input. It's not part of the actual keyboard scan. So, so you end up with um, uh, eight columns and seven rows. So you can have a full complement of 56 possible key combinations. And in the early Cocos, uh, f- four of those are left out. 
and uh, in the later Coco's uh, added a few keys. I think it's uh, I think it's completely full with the Coco three. I'm not I don't see the I don't have the matrix for Coco three keyboards handy, but. If you're wondering where the space for the F1 and F2 came from or whatever, there were a couple of spaces left in the matrix. Like I said, port B is wired for output. Port A is wired for input. Now with no keys pressed, the um, port A lines are literally connected to, well, essentially nothing. Just let's pretend it's nothing for now. Port A on the PIA, <laughs> sounds confusing, the port A on the 6821, actually implements uh, internal um, pull-up resistors and so basically it has uh, some uh, circuitry in it so that if there's no actual input then when you read from port A it will report as if the, the value of 1 for each bit or a high value, 5 volt value. If you read from port A and no keys are pressed you'll always get back a, a 7F value or, <laughs> like I said, that 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 eighth bit is not used to keyboard scan. It, it still exists, so you probably get back an FF value, but um, you might get back a seven F value. It depends on what's happening at the comparator, which is what that last bit is actually um, connected to the comparator that's used for um, comparing uh, joystick inputs to uh, the DAC values. So anyway, so again, disregard that for now. So you'll essentially read back uh, a seven F possibly an FF, but you only want to look at the, the 7F bits anyway. How is that useful? Well, it's useful for knowing that nothing is pressed. <laughs> um, um, but if you had the port B, um, if you set that to all ones, so an FF to port B, then even if you did press the buttons, they just would be connecting a, a one value to that input that's already supposed to be reading one. And so you wouldn't be able to tell what key was pressed at all. Right, so that's where the whole row and column uh, kind of uh, combination comes together. And so when you want to go and scan the keyboard, you will write out a binary value to port B where all but one of the bits is set high and, and you know, so one bit is set low. You can do it whatever order you want, but Let's say you started from the low order bits, you'd write out an FE, then you'd read back from port A, and if you got back anything other than a full 7F um, value, then that will tell you that a, a key is pressed, and then depending on what that value is, you would be able to tell which key, uh, well, again, which key is pressed. <laughs> and so, for example, if you got back a, um, if you wrote an FE to port B and read back from port A and you got a, a 7E, um, then that will tell you that uh, the at key would be pressed. And so, for example, if you uh, instead wrote um, FE to port B and you read back a, um, you know, a 7D, that would tell you that the H key is pressed. So, you know, depending on which bit is zero, that narrows you down from from the column down to the specific uh, uh, row in the column, and that, that tells you which key is pressed. And that's pretty much the basics of the keyboard scan. Uh, you have to understand the binary values and represent, and that understand that the, you know, ones and zeros represent 
switch closings or openings versus rather than um, you know they're not really numbers per se they're just represented as numbers that mostly covers it for the cocoa um, like I said you have a, a matrix and uh, you can look that up I'll try to put a link in the show notes with some useful information there with that information you can tell um, you, by walking through a number of values written to port B and then reading back from port A or writing to FF02 and reading back from FF00 you can determine which keys are pressed if any now there's one little hitch in the giddy up so to speak <laughs> and a mark of well cleverness or resourcefulness or cheapness or whatever Tandy utilized part of this mechanism to uh, to implement the scan for the joystick buttons so if you think about it a joystick button is not all that different from a keyboard key other than the fact that it's at the end of a wire on the end, on the joystick instead of connected to the box on the keyboard so uh, on port A the uh, on Coco 1 and 2 and the Dragon um, bit 0 and bit 1 are wired to the boy, to the joystick buttons for um, the right and left joysticks if you read from those bits and you get a 0 it means the the button is pressed um, but like I said, if you had already selected any given row uh, on the keyboard, then you don't know if that's that key is pressed or the joystick button is pressed. So what you want to do, of course, is write an FF to port B. So all of the keyboard keys ought to be reporting, uh, you know, even if you did have one closed, it ought to uh, uh, report back and, you know, a value of one on those, on those inputs. But if you get back a zero on you know those two bits, zero or one on port A, then you know it has to be it has to be a joystick button. <laughs> uh, so the problem so you have kind of a weird problem that uh, you know depending on how you've configured things, you know you know it has to be a joystick button one way, but the other way you don't know if it's a joystick button or uh, a keyboard key. So if you, have ever hit that so sometimes um, you know if you press the joystick button um, some uh, things expecting keyboard input suddenly think they're getting keyboard input <laughs> when all you did was hit the joystick button so if you ever wonder why that is well that's why <laughs> so as you know the Coco 3 uh, has uh, two button inputs per joystick and so they just have extended this so Instead of uh, just zero and one uh, bits on port A representing those two buttons, then you get um, uh, ports two and three, um, and then they represent the second buttons on the right and left joystick. So you know zero is the right button one, bit one is left button one, bit two is right button two, and bit three is left button two. <laughs> That's not confusing at all, I'm sure. So does that cover most of it? I think that pretty much covers the big details. So one more interesting fact. <laughs> this is one of the big differences between the Coco uh, and the Dragon. 
Uh, other than the bits about the Coco 3 having two, uh, having a second joystick button, um, basically everything I've said so far uh, applies to the Dragon as well, except for the the bits about specifically which bits on the on port A correspond to which letters. <laughs> um, uh, so if you if you're working with a Dragon, like I said, the keyboard scan is done essentially the same way, but for whatever reason, the keyboard rows are a little bit scrambled. And so when you look at the two matrices, you'll see that it, you know seven rows, and the the seven rows as they are in terms of you know what letters are on each row, they're they're the same between the Coco and the Dragon. It's just that the row numbers are different. <laughs> Whereas on the Coco, the, the the row for port A bit zero has uh, the at key and then A B C D E F G. The port A bit zero row on the Dragon has um, zero one two three four five six seven, but the port A bit two row on the Dragon is the one that's at an A B C D E F G. <laughs> so. You know, like I said, it's sort of the same set of rows. It's like somebody took a ribbon cable and uh, and cut the ribbons apart at one point, and then uh, and pulled uh, the wires across and plugged them in in a strange way. <laughs> um, and then there's one more exception to that: is on both the Coco and the Dragon, the row uh, represented by port A bit six uh, is the same. And so that um, is the enter key, the clear key, the break key, and the shift key. That's kind of interesting because, you know, those are kind of like special characters, uh, special keys anyway. And so um, if you are going to write a piece of code that might want to run both on the Coco and on the Dragon, uh, if you can limit yourself, certainly like um, if you have like a setup screen, if you can limit the navigation for getting to to your setup screen uh, to the inner clear break and shift keys, <laughs> then at least that part will work whether you're on a Coco or a Dragon. And then, you know, maybe in your setup screen, you can say, use the Dragon keyboard layout or use the Coco keyboard layout. And then from there, you're fine. Just a little helpful hint. I think that's what I did with Xmas Rush. Alright, well I think that probably covers all the information that uh, is really necessary. You know, you're using the two ports on one of the PIAs. Each port, uh, one's an input port, one's an output port. The port that naturally has um, internal pull-ups, port A, is the one used as an input. So one bit of that is actually used as a comparator input, so it's not really relevant to the keyboard discussion. You may want to just mask off that bit, you know, an AND with a 7F. Um, anyway, um, let's see, you output the, the uh, column, well, you output a value with one bit set to zero for the column that you're interested in on port B, and then you read in on port A, and if any of those bits are set to zero, it represents a key pressed. Which key it is depends on whether you're on the Coco or the Dragon. You have to refer to your handy um, uh, matrix for that. 
the joystick buttons on the uh, on both the Coco or the Dragon. They are read back on port. That port A is the same port A that's used for the keyboard inputs, and therefore they can interfere with the keyboard reading. That's sort of left as an exercise for the programmer. Um, basically, you need to read the buttons, and if no buttons are pressed, no, you need to read the joystick buttons, and then if no joystick buttons are pressed, then you can read the keyboard. But if your joystick buttons are pressed, then your keyboard results are going to be at best questionable, <laughs> depending on which rows you're looking at or which columns you're, you know, yeah, which which rows you're looking at. <laughs> um, but, uh, I think that covers it. So. I hope you found this useful. I hope uh, you are listening carefully to every Coco Crew episode. I hope there's a lot of good content for you, I think, including uh, a little uh, YouTube and uh, other content from time to time, even uh, occasional postings of Facebook. We are here because you're here, and if uh, you're not going to be here, or if you're going to spend your time uh, <laughs> doing something else, then there's no point in us uh, being here. So send us some feedback. Let us know either how much you like this tag segment, how much you like the show, or, you know, give us a big raspberry of hatred, whichever you like. <laughs> All right, well, um, I hope you made your plans. We're going to see you in Lombard, Illinois in May. Um, between now and then, uh, Coco forever. Thanks. Whoa! What do you want, mister? I'm looking for gold. Shoot, mister, we ain't got no gold around these here parts. But you can look all you want. <laughs> we got plenty of lead and tin, though. <laughs> Who are you? What you got there, stranger? It's the new J&M Systems JFD Coco Disc Controller. It sets a new standard in performance and quality. Its built-in digital phase lock loop data separator means no need for adjustments. Ever. And the card contacts? Pure gold. Best of all, the JFD Coco is plug compatible with the original Coco and the new Coco 2. How much, stranger? Just 139 bucks. Wait, wait. Where can I get one? From J&M Systems, Albuquerque, New Mexico. (laughs) Welcome to Neil's Corner. This is Mike Rowan filling in for Neil while he's on hiatus for warm weather. Hopefully he won't be too sunburned to return next month. Neil usually reviews a game, but I'm only an occasional gamer, so I thought instead I'd talk about a topic a little closer to my nerdy soul, word processors. One of the most useful tools available on any computer platform in the 80s was the word processor. With a low-cost computer, a printer, and a minimum investment in software, you could create professional documents. Best of all, you didn't need to be a great typist because correcting mistakes was a breeze. And if your spelling was less than accurate, a spell checker was your best friend. The color computer had some amazing word processors and sported features just as sophisticated as much more expensive platforms of its day. Consider that word processors were sold as standalone workstations and cost tens of thousands of dollars. When the Color Computer 3 was introduced, its native 80-column mode, larger memory, and improved graphics capabilities really brought about some excellent word processors. Most word processors offered standard features such as mail merge, indexing, print spooling, headers and footers, multiple columns, and pagination. Some sold spell check and punctuation tools separately, while others included them. And each had some special unique feature that might draw you to one over another. Simply Better was a word processor that could do windowing, either two different documents or two different places in the same document. 
a handy feature if you needed to reference another section of a document. WordPower included spell check and punctuation checkers, but probably its biggest feature was that you could keep up to 460k of text in memory on a 512k Coco 3. Anyone working on large documents knew the pain of hitting the memory limit. Telewriter 128 was surprisingly late to the Coco market, but since Telewriter 64 was the de facto word processor for the Coco 1 and 2, the Coco 3 version did not disappoint. VIP Writer 3 was also a popular word processor and integrated well with the entire VIP software suite. Max 10 came onto the scene and was the only WYSIWYG word processor for the Color Computer 3. WYSIWYG, of course, being what you see is what you get. It was modeled after Apple's 1984 Macintosh program, MacWrite. It allowed you to use multiple fonts with multiple sizes. You could incorporate graphics into your documents, something that could be done with text-based word processors too, but not as easily or visually as Max 10. And while Max 10 is an impressive program and was advertised as the Rolls-Royce of word processors, it's not especially speedy when typing, and you might get 10 to 20 pages in memory depending on the graphic content. Each of the word processors I've mentioned all included excellent documentation and tutorials. The documentation of this genre of software was easily the Cocoa community's finest examples of documentation. While I focused on RS-DOS-based word processing tools, there are also many OS9 solutions as well. Dynastar was an implementation of the popular WordStar word processor. WindowWriter was a popular OS9 word processor, and OS9 was more likely to incorporate text editing features used by programmers. In some instances, text editors could be used as very capable word processors. Programs like TSEdit, XWord, and VED fell into this category. To this day, VED is my word processing text editing tool of choice under OS 9. It's fast, lightweight, and feature-rich. But then there's no wrong answer when it comes to word processing on a Coco. There are many great packages to choose from. All of the RS-DOS word processors I've mentioned are available at ColorComputerArchive.com, and the documentation is there too. So if you're feeling curious about some of these packages or would like to compare their features to modern word processors, you may be pleasantly surprised. I've been tempted to try using my Coco 3 for work documentation for a week, just to see how it stacks up. Maybe I'll clear some space on my desk for a Coco 3 and blog about this in the future. Well, that's it for this month's Neil's Corner. Thanks for indulging my brief overview of Coco word processors. Howard Medical Computers. Save $100 on Magnavox monitors. Magnavox CM8505 RGB analog, only $198. Zenith 123A 12-inch green screen, just $67.50. Zenith 122A 12-inch amber screen, just $88. Stop by our showroom for other special deals on controllers, memory, disk drive, software, and more. Open 6 to 5 Monday through Friday, 10 to 3 Saturdays. Located at 1690 North Elston in Chicago, Illinois. Howard Medical Computers. Well, this wraps up episode 43. Thanks to John Linville, Boise Pete, Neil Blanchard, Ron Klein, all of the roundtable participants, and of course, all of our faithful listeners. It's been a great 2018, and we look forward to a wonderful 2019 and a wonderful Cocoa Fest. Until next time, Happy New Year and keep on cocoaing. Please listen carefully. Cocoa.
Like there's no tomorrow. What is this crazy rock and roll music anyway? It's a blast from the past. Dance, dance, dance. 